Welcome to Enneagram Plus Yoga, a podcast for the body, heart, and mind. And we have with us today Lauren Richardson. Kat Smith and I are so glad to have Lauren back. She has been on the podcast several times before. We interviewed her about life as an Enneagram 4. We also interviewed her about shame and how to find freedom from shame based on your Enneagram type. And so you can look back at some of those episodes, but we're super excited about today's. Today's episode is about creativity. And often type four gets a lot of the credit for being the creative type. Sometimes type seven also gets that credit. But we're going to talk about how all of us need to be creative. We need to practice it. We need to find solitude so that we can find it. And all of us have it. It's a part of what it means to be human. It's an innate quality we all have. Sometimes we tell ourselves the story that we don't have it, but we do. And we'll dive into that in our interview with Lauren. Today, we're focusing on types one and two and how they can tap into that creativity. But we love Lauren. We're so glad she's back. We really encourage you if you're looking for a coach to think about Lauren Uh, If you're in recovery, she would be an ideal person. And if you just want to become a more creative soul, she would be the coach for you. She leads classes individually, but also in groups about the artist's way. So we are going to provide you with some ways that you can reach out to her. But right now, let's just dive right into the interview. I promise you're going to love this one. So welcome back, Lauren Richardson, to the Enneagram Plus Yoga Podcast. We are so happy to have you. Thank you. Excited to be here. And we are going to talk about two things that you love, that you're passionate about. And one is the artist's way and creativity, and the other is recovery. Yes. Do you want to tell us about why you're passionate about those two topics? Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, thank you guys for having me. It's been a couple years, so it feels kind of cool to be back in this place, but also thinking about where I was two years ago and how my journey with the artist way and recovery has evolved. And, um, a couple of years ago, I was very active in leading artist way groups, which looked like, um, women that came together and we, um, met virtually once a week and The Artist Way is a book, for those that haven't heard about it. It's written by a woman named Julia Cameron, and it's been around for 30 years or more. Mm-hmm. Julia Cameron happens to be a woman in recovery also, so it's a really cool little part of, I guess, synchronicity um, and alignment. And really, The Artist Way is recovery. And mm-hmm. I know the word recovery sort of has this Um, kind of substance abuse attached to it. I think most people think of recovery as addiction to a substance. Mm -hmm. Um, But really, and I'm kind of here to talk about this, the whole conversation is that recovery is a really broad umbrella. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've come to believe all of us are in recovery for Mm -hmm. something. Um, You know, all of us are recovering the person we're really meant to be, that sense of wholeness that we were discussing right before we started it's just like leading um groups through the artist way and through recovery is just a search for wholeness and really yoga and the enneagram like all of it is the same end goal which is 
discovering who we really are and connecting with that. And the artist way also, in addition to that, kind of presents this idea that there isn't artists and not artists, mm -hmm. um, that all of us are inherently creative and that it's our birthright and mm -hmm. it, that it's a deeply spiritual thing to engage in with recovery. Um, and one of the things that I find just so moving about it is that um, Julie Cameron talks about there being this creative energy always available to us and we just have to tap into it. And mm -hmm. so we'll kind of talk about how we tap into it. Each person has their own way of tapping into what I like to call source. Mm -hmm. That might be another word for God, for universe, mm -hmm. um, spirit, you know, these kind of euphemisms, I guess, for that higher power that's out there, always available. Just mm -hmm. similar into recovery, we talk about, like in substance abuse recovery, we talk about surrendering to a higher power it's step number one yeah. um, and so really step number one in creativity is the same as step number one in recovery of substance abuse it's like step number one is always I am not in control yeah <laughs> and it's time to surrender what I think is right to access that higher source that deeper wisdom that we all have available to us, which again, yoga helps us get in touch with, and we'll talk about all the ways that we can kind of, what I like to say is unclogging the filter. Mm -hmm. um, so I showed you all a book at the very beginning, different book from The Artist Way is a book called um, The Creative Act, A Way of Being. It's an author is Rick Rubin. Probably many of you listening have heard of this book. It's gotten very popular over the last year. And he essentially just supports this theory that we're all, um, we're all creative beings and we're all spiritual beings and that there is a creative energy always around us mm. and that something gets caught in our filters and kind of stops us from feeling that. So it's like sources available and then, you know, it's downloading things all the time, source, God, whatever word you want to use. We're always getting these downloads, but we're not always paying attention or there's just something that's blocking it. And, mm. and we'll, that's what we're kind of we're going to talk about, I think, is what's blocking our ability to feel that connection with source. I love that. And I love that idea that we're all in recovery. And I think alongside recovery is addiction. And I think we're all addicts. And I think the Enneagram points to how we're all addicts in different ways. You know, maybe we can explore that at, at some point. But it also points us back to ourselves and to saying actually you want to become all nine numbers that wholeness is that circle and we could even call that circle what you named earlier spirit and energy mm. bigger than us god like mm. we are moving towards wholeness and the recovery of all parts of ourselves and that's waking up to ourself and so the enneagram is in support of what you're saying as well it's like and there's a lot of synchronicity between the enneagram and the artist's way and uh, recovery and yeah so. it it's very exciting I get yeah, very excited I get chills like <laughs> I'm like yes this is this is gonna be good so um yeah we're excited to mm -hmm. to have you and, and that's dive such a into beautiful this. thought too I I mean I know we don't have a visual but I printed this up and just kind of thinking of that as spirit and wholeness like it's so interconnected each number yeah um, all of us have all the numbers yeah so what but if, i love it for those of you who are listening of course you can't see what uh lauren just showed but it is 
like a like a will chart and um, it has all the nine numbers and a lot of you are uh, probably familiar with the visual but here's what I'll tell you she printed a straight up four visual so the colors are straight up colors of the rainbow y'all like it's not even first of all they are colors and they're not just your primary ones they're like colors of of the rainbow and they're all in sync and they all flow and then there's like words like harmony and quality and service and delivery like if this is not a four chart i yes. don't really and and can we talk about it for those who have not um heard uh lauren's episode i highly recommend you listen to it it has been a while but tell me about your enneagram number Oh yeah, okay. We're taking it off the road a little bit. Absolutely, let's take it off the road. I know, and I don't know if you noticed, but all I've highlighted. It's all in color. Yeah, I can see. (laughs) So we usually bring notes, and Lauren is our, you know, she's our free spirit guest. So we always kind of flow with the current, but from what I can see, like everything is so colorful and beautiful and unique. Christy and I with our, with our <laughs> black and white one page printout and Lauren has like the rainbow thing happening right next to her. I'm dying. I'm dying. Yeah, I mean, seriously, you can't make it up. It doesn't. It's right there. It's just to cover up that my brain is just complete chaos, that's all. <laughs> It's <laughs> um, beautiful. But yes, yeah, so Enneagram, I, I identify as an Enneagram 4, mm-hmm. and no big surprise probably, but um, when I found the Enneagram, it was only a few years ago, and I'd done a lot of self-development at that point, a lot of yoga, a lot of therapy, but the Enneagram really helped me understand myself on a much deeper level. Um, it just names things for me that are just very spot on. Um, and I think I mentioned this in my last um, interview, but sometimes, you know, there's trauma. I actually kind of have this feeling that Enneagram is our trauma responses in many ways. I don't know, mm-hmm. as a counselor, maybe you can, but I've been kind of theorizing that a little bit because, you know, Enneagram talks about your greatest fears and your greatest or yeah. your deepest motivations. And I mm-hmm. think those two things, what your fears are. And what you like driven, what's you're driven by, which is often fear, <laughs> um, is like our trauma responses. Yeah. yeah. So for me, finding out I'm a four helped inform so much. I did have a lot of childhood trauma. I've shared, I think, a lot of my story. I am a survivor of sexual abuse as a child. Um, and so that that is deep, deep spiritual abuse. And um, as a four, I kind of always thought I was defective. That's something that a four feels. Um, but then it's like, some of it's nurture, some of it's nature, I think, and Enneagram can kind of explain that. But anyways, um, as a four, I wanted to read something from this book that I brought. Yeah. Yes, we're some quotes. It's very short, but it speaks, I think, to what fours really feel. And I would, I would venture say that a four, um, that most of our probably, maybe not most, but I would say probably a lot of our greatest artists are probably four. Um, oh, yeah. And I think one of the reasons that us fours struggle so much is because we do have such very big feelings. Um, and that's a gift and a curse, and this is what Rick Rubin says about it. He says, and I feel like this is describing a four, so this is why I'm gonna read this. If you see tremendous beauty or tremendous pain where other people see little or nothing at all, You're confronted with big feelings all the time, and these emotions can be confusing and overwhelming. 
And when those around you don't see what you see and feel what you feel, this can lead to a sense of isolation and a general feeling of not belonging and of otherness. Such a four. So these charged emotions, powerful when expressed in the work, are the same dark clouds that beg to be numbed to allow sleep or to get out of bed and face the day in the morning. It's a blessing and a curse. Mm. I mean, I get chills. I mean, goosebumps. Yeah. Look, hair on my arm just stood up. Obviously, I highlighted it when I read that, and I was like, this is my little four self in a nutshell. From the time very young, I think I have felt deep, deeply, you know, um, and that's on both ends. You get to feel lots of joy and be, you see beauty and deep empathy, but that also comes with this overwhelming feeling as well. And then you kind of go into those darker places. So as a four, I, I would also say probably a lot of fours are addicts. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that's a good segue into that kind of conversation too, that you know our, our, our ability to really feel our feelings and then bring that forth into the world is a gift, but it also comes with so much um, weight. It comes with a lot of weight. Some Enneagram teachers say fours and sevens, you know, have the highest propensity to be an alcoholic or mm. have any addiction. Now, not everybody says that, and I and I don't I don't really want to weigh in on whether that's right or wrong. I don't know, but I would say that if you're having really deep feelings, you might want to numb those feelings. And a seven who wants to repress their feelings kind of uses substance to do the opposite. So so four might use the substance like because, well, they're feeling already too much, too deeply, and then the seven just doesn't want to feel it from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder, like, it's, you know, addiction is often about pain management, right? Yes. <laughs> and it's so a coping. It's a coping tool. Fours and sevens are, you know, doing that in di- very different ways, you know, fours yeah. who just feel deeply, okay, I'm not going to feel it, and sevens who don't want to feel it at all. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Any thoughts? Yeah. Insightful. I mean, I am just, I can listen to you for days. It's <laughs> like looking at art or hearing beautiful piece of music or it, you exude otherness, and it, like, broke my heart to hear that word. But I think that's what makes you so special. Mm. The otherness, but I can see how painful it can be. Yeah. Mm. The it's, other just. Oh. It's so interesting because reading this article uh, that we have that we were kind of when referencing, um, it talks about the Enneagram just longing to, uh, the Enneagram 4 rather, mm-hmm. longing to be understood. And I just am like, oh, that wrenched my heart. And I'm like, what is that? Why do we feel so misunderstood? I'm still turning that one over. I think it is probably a lot to do with that quote I just read, that deep, that deep feeling and that we're seeing something other people aren't seeing or feeling something other people aren't feeling. That's been a revelation in my grown-up life because, you know, you kind of feel like everybody everybody is like you mm-hmm. but the enneagram shows yeah. us that's really not true yeah it's so helpful to understand that people's realities and the way they're perceiving yeah. the world is we're all in our own little dream really yeah. we're all in our own dream which i think i have it written down it's it, that's part of creativity is that we are literally creating our lives each step each choice we make yeah um but yes, the otherness is painful, yeah. and also it's a gift. And as as an adult, 
I'm grateful to have had the privilege of all of the years I've had to to heal and yeah. to really uncover who I am in a loving way because I mean I've definitely spent a lot of my life feeling um, not good enough toxic shame sense of unworthiness sense of not belonging I still I still fight all of that of course but I'm learning how to tap tap into source it's with my creativity it's with my music it's with yoga it's with working with other people that I actually am starting to feel the sense of belonging in the world and this like knowing that I do have something to bring forth that's of value yeah so Thank you for saying such sweet words. And no. you have such a huge part. I know I mentioned this too in our last interview. Huge part of getting me back into my yoga practice and into teacher training in 2018, which I think I was kind of at this pivotal moment of feeling like, what do I have to offer the world? Yeah. And then getting into teacher training, really attuning myself every day with mm -hmm. yoga. Yeah. It was like something just woke up in me. Yeah. And I was like, I belong here. Mm -hmm. And that's the same year I got sober yeah. as well, the same year that I stopped drinking. So I know I belong, but it is my it is my deepest spiritual journey to kind of constantly feel grounded in that and yeah. knowing that. And yeah. I actually think I underlined something that was really profound um, that says, and we would talk about the Enneagram 4, maybe I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but we talked about the Enneagram 4 having um, the deadly passion of envy mm -hmm. and this article says there's a huge difference between envy, envy and, and jealousy. jealousy did you guys notice that mm -hmm. it says jealousy says I want what you have mm -hmm. envy says I don't deserve what you mm -hmm. have and I'm like mm -hmm. yes mm -hmm. yes because there it's the shame triad so mm -hmm. there's this feeling of not being worthy yeah yeah and I, I do experience that I don't feel like I'm someone who sees something that someone else has and is like uh, uh, you know mm -hmm. it's much more of that they must be better than the me boy, they me. must have somehow done something better yeah. they're prettier they're smarter mm -hmm. more successful yeah. more loved yes. more cared for all more of that wanted, they're not more they're, needed my my kind of wounded narrative of myself is you're too much you're too wounded, you're, you know, you're too heavy, yeah. you have too many emotions, yeah. you know, too complicated, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, yeah. too much. Yeah. 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 I have to fight that a lot. Yeah. You're not too much for us. Mm -hmm. I'm here to say. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that four needs to hear you are enough, you belong, that healing childhood message, you are seen for who you are, and it's not only that they need to hear that, they need to kind of metabolize that. Yes, and I love that because, I mean, we're talking about creative process, we're talking about yoga, um, we're talking about recovery, and what does it mean to like actually metabolize or process or really integrate mm -hmm. what you're told? Because mm -hmm. there's a big difference between intellectually hearing something and it actually being truth in your in your body, Yeah. Um, which, you know, we can talk a lot about trauma and how it lives in the body, but I'm sure you guys, that's a lot of what you talk about on all of these episodes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we ha we are talking about actual tools to do that. Yeah. Like, and, yeah. yeah, and that the spirit is maybe a part of what says that to you as well, that intellectually you hear that, like you said, but then you have to let it settle in your bones and in your body and that's the embodiment piece 
And then the feeling, that you feel that. And these are the parts of the Enneagram, you know, that it's about the body, the heart space, the mind, and the spirit, the circle that surrounds those three triads. Mm -hmm. And that that's that integration that you were just beautifully talking about. Yeah, that you can't just hear it. It's got to be more than that. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I didn't go into much about the Artist Way process, but the process of the Artist Way, just the, uh, I would say the morning pages alone, which is one of the main tools, and that's first thing in the morning you wake up, you journal for three pages, I'd say 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. So, but three, three-ish pages, about 30 minutes of stream of consciousness, brain dump writing. And that has been a lifesaver for me because what it does is it helps you dump all of that. I call We call it the vomit pages in some of my groups. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. just, you're literally just bleh, whatever is coming up and out. Um, and that can be so helpful. It's also very helpful to do it for a prolonged period of time um, because I like to go back and look like a year ago or two years ago, where was I? Especially I like to look at one year ago, where was I? And what patterns showed up then that are mm-hmm. still showing up now um, but yeah, it's an amazing tool in order to kind of um, process and really figure out where your true voice is, because we have so many other yeah. critic brain voices. That's the filter that we were talking about at the beginning. Like we gotta unclog that filter, and the filter is filled with shame, trauma, limited beliefs, you know, stress. Mm-hmm. Just even even just being dysregulated in your nervous system can be a clogging of your filter. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, yeah, that's one, one reason why I'm so passionate is that we can't, we have to actually um, heal in our bodies. We can't just heal in our minds. Yeah. yeah. Quick question. Morning pages. Is there a particular reason why you do it in the morning versus at night? Yes. Tell me. Great question. And many, many people, this is a constant debate. Mm-hmm. Um, there is some science around it actually like waking up there is a little bit of there's a window of time when you become awake from Mm -hmm. sleep Mm -hmm. that your brain is still sort of in the subconscious Mm -hmm. so it's a little more accessible now i don't i can't quote which wherever but i think Mm -hmm. i've heard julia cameron say it's about 30 minutes to an hour after you wake that you're still sort of in that like swimmy Mm -hmm. subconscious Mm -hmm. brain Mm -hmm. and you haven't fully activated Mm -hmm. into Mm -hmm. prefrontal cortex brain. Mm -hmm. Now I tell people you can do pages anytime. You can do the evening pages if you want. I think three pages of stream of consciousness writing is valuable any time of day. It's just the morning is when you're a little bit more primed for Mm -hmm. it. It's just the same as spiritual practice when people that live in temples, you know, monks, and they get up in the morning. Yeah. They get up at mm-hmm. 4 or 5 in the morning. Meditation is recommended mm-hmm. first thing in the morning. Right, and some of that's also just that time of day is really kind of universally and for thousands of years known as a very deeply spiritual time. Mm-hmm. It's quiet, mm-hmm. and depending on what you believe, that thin veil between us and the spirit world, mm-hmm. you know, but... Ultimately, if you want to look at it from a science perspective, it's just that waking up and being in a little mm-hmm. bit more of a subconscious frame mm-hmm. of mind. Um, and also there's some some kind of element of like, you get busy and then you forget. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. there is there is a benefit to doing it first thing in the morning. I have a follow-up question. Yes. So you said brain dump and, dump and my oneness, I was like... <gasps> I, I'm blank. Like, I don't know what to say. What would I write? So do you 
like what mm -hmm. exactly do you write? Well, you would write First that thing in the morning. if that was what was coming up. That's I don't know what, what you write. would write. Mm -hmm. You, I don't want to write. And the 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 truth is, is that most people start in a place of critic critic brain. Uh -huh. So most people will start their morning pages. When I say start, I mean like if they've never really done the practice. Yeah, yeah that there's like a detox that happens mm -hmm. for the first little while of like, this is stupid, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. a lot of that will come up. A lot of okay. self-judgment comes up. A lot of like, what's the point of this comes yeah. up. Um, and that's actually the point. Like you're looking to get past that. Okay. And sometimes it takes some time. And I will say that for me, my experience of writing morning pages, sometimes I get there. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes I'm like, I drop in and all of a sudden halfway through some like nugget of wisdom comes out of nowhere and I'm like what mm -hmm. and she'll she'll call that Julie Cameron calls that the halfway mark mm -hmm. that if you really get into your stream of consciousness that you something will come up like as Oprah would say an mm -hmm. aha moment mm -hmm. or something that will like come up that you're like oh that's it yeah that's why I woke up feeling like shit yeah. <laughs> you know yeah isn't it crazy yeah. a meditation will refer to it as a moment of clarity yeah same th and it is a meditation so mm -hmm. morning pages is meditation mm -hmm. and for those of us who have a really hard time just going to your cushion and sitting there mm -hmm. this is an active yeah. meditation yeah. this is a way of like connecting with source yeah and getting your stuff out mm -hmm. and then really getting to like the meat and heart of of what it is that you're feeling you feel lighter through the day a hundred percent you do it a thousand percent in fact morning pages has become like yoga for me mm -hmm. where I, it's like a tightness i feel mm -hmm. if i don't mm -hmm. do it like mm -hmm. there's a tightness mm -hmm. like a it's a pr pressure release it's valve release. Mm -hmm. yeah and so i say for people who do this process any time of day if you can't do it first thing in the morning, you got kids, you have whatever it is that you do, um, any time of day is good, you know. And maybe after yoga, because it's like your second wake up of the day, so you're still in that kind of hazy state Yes. where it's kind of a spiritual place. Mm -hmm. So that may be, if you're not a 5 a.m.er, which mm -hmm. I know some of you listening aren't, um, maybe think about after yoga. But like you said, anytime, anytime yeah. that you're putting pen to paper, and thinking about like who am I what am I feeling yeah that's good yeah yes I mean and I just spent a week with my teacher Bala I think both of you know Bala mm -hmm. perhaps yeah. mm -hmm. I, I, don't I know you I know Bala. okay yeah. Balaram Chandradas and he was a monk and lived in I mean he's basically lived spiritual life his whole life he's uh -huh. no longer a monk but was a monk most of his 20s and um, is now a yoga teacher. He teaches Ayurveda. He really delves into the psychology of yoga when he teaches. And he's been so influential in helping me understand spirit and source and mm -hmm. all of that. Um, he loves the artist way. He loves this book. Um, but I just spent a week with him and he was talking about sadhaka. Okay, this is a this is a yogi word. This is an Ayurvedic term. Mm -hmm. And sadhaka is an issue of unprocessed emotions mm -hmm. and it comes up for pitta a lot so mm -hmm. this was specifically like we were kind of talking about the doshas for those mm -hmm. who know ayurveda there's doshas and they're not unlike enneagram it's like you know this is your makeup this is how you react and this mm -hmm. is how you are fiery or you know airy or grounded and earthy it is personality yeah yeah totally and and yoga system gives us tools to mm -hmm. work through and he was talking about writing stream of consciousness 
as a way to process sadhaka, which mm -hmm. is undigested emotion. Mm -hmm. And you know you're having sadhaka issues if you're waking up in the middle of the night. That could be an indication. You know, waking up with lots of anxiety. So, I mean, this is literally a prescription you can apply to your life at any point, any time of day. Yes, morning pages, there's a great thing to do. It's great to do in the morning, but it's great to do any time of day. Mm -hmm. And it, it can process through what's there, you know. Um, we're really not taught that in our society. We're kind of taught we have to go and do and be or um, achieve. Yeah. But we're really not taught how to cultivate our sense of being in the world. Yeah. And yeah. yoga gives us the tools to do that. Yeah. And then I just pairing it with creativity is just so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Lauren, Lauren, I have a question for okay. you. So I know that you do work that revolves, um, that, that, that is inspired by the artist way. So can you tell our listeners, what is it that you teach? Because I know you teach not just yoga. And just, just share with us what you got. Yes, okay. So um, I have a couple of different offerings for the last couple of years. So I started doing the artist way myself in the pandemic. Right. Um, found it so helpful, especially during those quarantine yeah. days. Um, and decided this is something that I think would be really valuable to continue to offer. And so I continue to offer artist way groups. So women um, kind of all over the world, really, we meet virtually once a week. Mm -hmm. You get the book. You read the chapter, you start doing the morning pages, and you start doing all the tasks, and then we meet once a week, and I guide you through that process. Mm -hmm. So for a long time, I was doing that as a group. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then this last year, I started doing the process one-on-one -on -one with people. Nice. So there's two ways that you can come through the Artist Way process with me. Mm -hmm. You can inquire about a group. Um, which I'm hoping to have kind of consistently running every three months or so. And then if you would rather not join a group and you'd rather do the artist way process with me one-on-one, -on -one, mm -hmm. I kind of think of it as both creative recovery or creative mentorship and spiritual mentorship. Um, and that's another kind of thing that I put as just, just kind of a broad umbrella of coaching that I offer is somebody that wants to kind of delve deeper into their connection with with God, source, spirit, their relationship with, um, with that. Um, the artist way has so many built-in kind of ways to look at your inner child as well. Mm -hmm. So doing the process one-on-one -on -one actually was really eye-opening for me because in the group setting, it's a lot more like a book club, okay? Mm -hmm. In the group setting, it's like we're all reading this book yeah. and we're all doing this process and people share. But when it's a one-on-one -on -one setting, it, it got a lot deeper. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, I'm not a therapist. I am not, you know, a counselor. I don't pretend to be. But I do apply these tools and apply my yoga training mm -hmm. to guide and, and apply my own personal experience of guiding people through finding and uncovering their creativity. And, again, a lot of that is looking at your inner child stuff, looking mm -hmm. at what's clogging the filter, as we were yeah. saying before. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of just say I'm a, I'm a filter unclogger. I'm kind of guiding you through helping you understand what is blocking you from 
not just making art because some people are artists and they want to make art and they're not doing that but then other people might want to do the artist way because they're feeling a little stuck in their life they're not sure what they even want in their life or they might be going through a period of feeling uninspired or like I just took a group of women last fall through the artist way process that were all financial advisors mm -hmm. All of those women probably, you know, Enneagram ones mm -hmm. or threes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and need guidance from a four, you yeah. know, yeah. or could find that beneficial to get in touch with play and, yeah. and, um, and fun mm -hmm. and spontaneity. So that was actually really healing for me as a four to realize, um, you know, that four kind of has that narrative of being a misfit. But when I really look at the gifts I've been given, mm -hmm. those gifts really are needed. Yeah. You know, there's people out there in the world that are, that are, you know, they got it all, uh, all going for them as far as maybe materially mm -hmm. and they're achieving everything, mm -hmm. but they've forgotten how to get in touch with their spirit mm -hmm. or how to just be yeah. in the world. Um, another tool of the artist way is an artist date. Oh, cool. Ooh, what is an artist day? Right. So the two main <laughs> tools of the, the process is to do morning pages every day, and then every week you take yourself on a date. <gasps> oh, Ooh, tell me more. You yeah. know, that's my Achilles heel. Well, I'm bringing right this there. up in conjunction with what I'm saying about the playfulness and spontaneity because um, for me, my whole life feels like an artist day sometimes. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, like, I don't find that difficult to go and, you know, I just literally went creek walking this morning. It is so <laughs> funny. Like I said, I'm like, give me a piece of paper. Like, I don't know what to write. You just like, take yourself in the date. I'm like, uh, I don't know. What do I do? <laughs> That's hard. What do I do? Well, it can be really scary. And I think some of that is that we don't. Some of it, there's so many different reasons why people stop themselves from going on a date. But I, I believe there is a deep part of it that is not really comfortable with being with yourself. Yeah. yeah. Just being with you. Yeah. So that's something to really examine. And I have taken women through the process where, like, every week they stand themselves up. They cannot do it. They cannot go out with themselves. Like It's hard, girl. <laughs> it's hard. It is. Give me some examples. What are some best dates that you've taken yourself oh, on? Well, I love nature, so mm. nature is usually involved with my dates, but not always. So um, it doesn't have to be dinner and a show type it, of date. It doesn't. Okay, In good. fact, I would say that when you're considering your artist date, you want to think about your inner child. We were just talking about that. You want to think about what little cat would want to do. What did, or what did, what were you called when you were little? Katya. Katya. Little Katya. What does little Katya like to do? And actually, that can be hard for people as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you think somebody that's in their 40s or 50s would easily know what their little yeah. child liked to do. But mm -hmm. I have come to realize a lot of people are very disconnected from that. Yeah. Or the minute that I bring up, what did you like to do as a child, there's a darkening that happens over mm -hmm. them. And then you just kind of know well, there's a lot there, you know, yeah. um, there's a lot to look at. And what I feel like I bring that's a little bit different from a therapist. And I actually would say this, too, because I, I again, I'm not a therapist, but I highly recommend each person I work with, particularly if they're in substance abuse recovery mm -hmm. to be in therapy. Like I believe my services and offerings are beautiful companion to counseling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because what I've heard is that therapy makes sense of your past while coaching helps you design and 
plan your future. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I kind of think I end up going back and forth between those two with yeah. artist weight, because like I said, we're going into childhood stuff. But um, I feel like artist weight gives you this really safe container to examine those mm-hmm. things. There's mm-hmm. actual you know, tools and so many tasks that you kind of question who, who was it that, that stopped you from being creative or who were the monsters in your life? You know, that's kind of big, but monsters, not necessarily your parents. It can be your teachers. It can be your peers. Um, and so all of, all of that kind of is a way to, so the art of back to the artist state is you, you you take yourself out and you do something fun and you actually don't have to go out at all. You can stay in, in an artist state. I just got a little more good, like relaxed. Okay, so we can do yeah. like a staycation day. Yes, like inside know, the house. You day. can try a new recipe in your kitchen. Mm-hmm. You can, I mean, you could watch a film for an hour. Say, now I had a I had a client who um, was choosing to watch a show every week uh-huh. for Artist Date, and I was like, mm-hmm. maybe no. maybe we vary Expand it. Expand it. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Uh-huh. So, you know, I, I do say try to find something you want to do, but also maybe push yourself out outside a little bit outside of the yeah. comfort zone. But the ultimate goal, really, is the two compa- the two together, Morning Pages is a dump, is mm-hmm. a brain dump, mm-hmm. is a, like, expelling. Yeah. And an artist date is meant to be a refilling. Okay. So thinking of it that way. and So don't think of your artist date as a, I need to write a draft right, right, right. for my new yeah, yeah. blog. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be fun, and it's like, go bowling, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or if you like bowling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, do something that you that maybe is a little bit silly or just a little bit outside of your comfort yeah. zone but it's meant to give you experiences and it's meant to connect you to yourself yeah yeah well i i think i've talked about it that i am scared to go on the dates with myself it's been like a weird thing but i've started to kind of work on it because um i get to travel for work and i get to travel not very often but different places and what i do now is i negotiate an extra day uh, after the work is done and I stay in that city by myself and I do the whole day my, by myself and at first it was like so awkwardly cr- cringy and here recently just just end of July um, I was in Boston I had a day and like I had the best day that I can like I don't even remember when I had such a good day. Like I had a moment with myself. It was glorious. So to your point, even if it's not organic, you can get there. And it's just awesome. Oh my gosh. I know. I'm I'm excited for you. I know. Thank you. Me too. Yeah. It's so, it's incredible how much, I mean, we kind of really are trained to be codependents in the world in a lot of ways. I'm not calling anyone here codependent, but just like, we're kind of trained that way, mm-hmm. and I am deep yeah. codependent. Yeah. So, yeah. learning to be in the world, just with yourself, and you know, it's freeing. It's, it's really freeing. You see, it's crazy. I like like being with myself yeah. for the first time. Like it was amazing. Like I was like, I'm actually like I would want to hang out with me. Yes, <laughs> being so carefree <laughs> and fun and exciting, and that's. We don't tap into that. Right. I mean, ones don't. 
I know yeah. for a fact. Yeah. And I have a lot of clients who will say, it's so hard for me to go out to lunch by myself. Like, yeah. But this is about like this art of knowing how to be alone and yeah. be in the comfort of yeah. you, yourself, and I. And enjoy and, it. Yeah. Like, I right before this, I went to Southern Squeeze by myself. And, oh, my gosh, their spring rolls with the peanut sauce oh, are so amazing. Silly. It's mm. so good. <laughs> Take it during lunchtime, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it's it's such a good thing to be mm-hmm. by yourself and to call it a date, like you call it. I mean, yeah, it's it a date with yourself. Yeah. yeah. And, and just to have that energy of yourself, it's good to have the shared energy of friends or your spouse. Um, but there can be a joy in being by yourself. I remember the first time I went to Paris, I went alone. Like, it was a trip by myself in my 20s. And, like, I was like, oh, I always thought I'd go to the Eiffel Tower with a man. But it was, like, such a great trip by myself. And then I love my husband, but our trip to Paris, like, on the Eiffel Tower, like, he was anxious that day. It was not romantic at all. So sometimes we think that, like, you know, being with somebody else is going to be better, but there is a joy in being alone. Yeah. Yeah. And to this point where, you know, we're taught to couple, to have a person, whatever. And then we're told, but you know, your happiness does not depend on anybody but you. Well, how do you learn that? Right. Yeah. You know, and then we're t- we're left with that. Yeah. Well, we're not really taught that. Right. We're really not. You know. So that's... We're told you got to be whole and love yeah. yourself first in yeah. order to... But, but that how? is not the way that yeah. I think culture has trained us. Mm-hmm. You know, we really are conditioned, conditioned in a different way. Yeah. Um, and so much of yoga and artist way and recovery is deconditioning all of that mm-hmm. and learning to... Yeah know that you're whole and uh, and a whole person on your own Mm -hmm. and if you don't ever spend time alone you really don't know who you are yeah you really don't know at the end of the day what choices you make Mm -hmm. all on your own Mm -hmm. you know what thoughts you have where you go like all of those things it's it it, it's a part of yoga to self-study to svadhyaya is the sanskrit name but it's a self-study to get out there and and just be with yourself by unpeeling the layers yeah Right. Mm-hmm. You know, unpeeling the layers. That's what yeah. we're doing. Yeah. Unclogging the filter. Yeah. yeah. And that's the Enneagram, too. Yeah. Like, making the unconscious conscious, you know, mm-hmm. being more aware of, like, what's going on below the surface. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, um, we have said, since you are an artist way teacher and that you are a cultivator of creativity, that we would kind of hone in on creativity and think a little bit about how each type might live into their creativity. And like you said, every number is creative. Yes. Um, All our lives are our creation. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. We are created beings who are meant to create, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And, And so I think that the fours and the sevens often get credit for being the creative ones, but we're all creative. And so let's just talk about each number. Kat, do you want to yeah. start with yeah, type I one? Yeah, I can kick it off do because it. I feel like one is probably the biggest square out of them all. And as always, <laughs> y'all, you know, I talk on behalf of everyone's in the, in the universe. But uh, here's what I'll tell you um, from what I have, I have learned of myself in terms of creativity. It doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come organically. For me, it never did. 
but I loved it. So for example, I would see everybody in the art class and everybody's creating and I would struggle. Like you give me a white piece of paper and say, okay, what do you want to put on it? And it's a blank. But then I see this and I so appreciate it. I see the beauty. I see the intricacy. I see how special it is. So for me, cultivating creativity was just to recognize other people's creativity and what what it looks like and what it feels like. Um, and then um, as I grew older, what I found is, you know, we say like attracts like. And when I leaned into that, you know, routine that you know what's coming, everything is predicted because that's a comfort, I felt more suppressed because it was just too much of what I already had. So leaning into that seven wing where it is more spontaneous and more creative, it, it made me happier. So for example, I teach yoga. Y'all know I teach yoga. And I am happiest when I teach creative vinyasa flow. And it doesn't come naturally. It doesn't just, you know, I don't just poop it out. But it makes me feel happier, more whole, more creative. So I guess what I'm saying for one specifically is maybe you start being more creative is by recognizing what other people's creativity looks like, mm -hmm. admiring it, tapping into that, mm -hmm. and then leaning into your your era of health, which is the seven. Yeah, mm -hmm. I love that. Mm -hmm. that, that, that. That'd be my recipe. At least that's what kind of worked for me. Yeah, I love that. Or maybe even reframing creativity in, as we mentioned, it's not always art necessarily, yeah. but a one might find joy in making interesting to-do lists yes. which you know I know that sounds mm -hmm. yeah. silly but really again each choice yeah. we make in our lives is creative yeah um so starting to apply maybe the idea of creativity to you know to the structure that you enjoy in yeah. your life yeah and we go back to nature versus nurture I think some type some of us and they're just humans we just have that creative streak. Just it is in us. It was we were born with it, and that's that. And I believe some of us we don't have that thing, but you can still nurture it. For example, you know, people say, "Well, I am not flexible. I could never do yoga." No, if you actually practice yoga, you can grow your flexibility, or you know, mm -hmm. whatever it is, maybe. And I think the same concept is applicable to creativity. Uh, I don't think for one it is a organic kind of thing that just that just flourishes out on its own, but you can grow it. Then I almost want to debate this because with a one, I would imagine probably a lot of ones are CEOs or business starters. Like they're the reformer of the Enneagram. They're they get stuff going, mm -hmm. which is create. That's create creativity mm -hmm. to its maybe reframing the, what creativity so, is yeah like starting an organization doing this podcast mm -hmm. that's creativity yeah. so it might look a little bit more um it just unconventional look, um, it, yeah but really it's like um you all are the trailblazers so you're yeah. you're creating in a way that's changing the world yeah. like a one would be 
the one organizing a march against gun violence. Yes. You know, yes. because they're all about justice and that's creative and it's, yeah. and yeah, that's yeah. the type of I guess it's just changing the perspective of how, what you look at, what is creativity. Right. And you're absolutely right. Like for me, I'm like, oh, creative. I don't know. I don't yeah. dance. I don't paint. I don't make music. I'm just not really creative. Right. You know? And those are all the traditional things sure. we think of, but there's so many other ways. And really, we're just talking about, we can even throw the word creativity on, say, self expression yeah we're just talking about expressing what's what is wanting to bring forth what is spirit wanting you to bring forth in the world you know I I have the belief we're all here for a reason and yoga believes that that each of us have dharma yeah which is that inherent purpose and inherent quality of who you are so we're not supposed to fight that we're supposed Mm -hmm. to just embrace it and figure out how we bring forth what is uniquely wanting to be expressed and that might be something different from dancing yeah you yeah, know but yeah. much needed yeah i love i love the self-expression mm-hmm. yeah in, we can in just relation say that. to creativity mm-hmm. all right well and, let's and i like you mm-hmm. i think i at one time got stuck in the story that yeah. i'm not creative yeah. that's a type two mm-hmm. and um and i'm De- deconstructing that story <laughs> and i um, i i got stuck is i'm not talented Mm-hmm. I'm not talented enough. Yeah. I'm not good enough to do that kind of art. I'm not good enough to do that kind of yeah. I'm not good enough because I'm just not talented. Yeah. And that translated, I'm not creative. I must be yeah. not creative. And there's the one, I'm bad, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the mm-hmm. one is telling themselves that yeah. story. I'm not good enough. Yeah. I'm bad. I mean, yeah. an artist way chain, rewrites that narrative completely for everyone and saying like, no, this is who your birthright this is yeah. who you are yeah yeah and that each one of us has something unique to bring forth yeah. there's not just that person's an artist and that person isn't or that person is talented and that person isn't like Rick Rubin in this book says art isn't competitive it is self-expressive mm-hmm. so each person it's unique and it's yeah. that divine spirit coming through yeah. expressing itself in the world yeah. and all of the not talented, not good enough, that's the stuff that's clogged in our filter. And I would say for a two, just to think about like something that probably most twos love to do that I think is creative, even even if they're not in their healthy space of going towards the four, twos are givers Mm -hmm. and they're often so relational and they Mm -hmm. care deeply about relationships. So they're trying to think of a gift that would really mean something to somebody. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, any of the nine types can do that, um, especially if they're embracing their inner two. But I just think that that's a natural creative part of the two that they wanna give, they mm-hmm. wanna give generously, they wanna give in a way that, oh, this person will really like that because they do wanna be liked. <laughs> and so they, but they end up giving, I think often in very creative ways. Like some of the twos in my life have just given me really the creative. the best gift giver. Oh, You've you are too the best <laughs> gifts ever. I'm like, oh, what? Well, so, but you're that way and too. And for my family, for my husband, for my, for my daughter, but you're absolutely right. It's, it's, yeah not everybody's that way not everybody's wired that way and so I think that's a gift of the two I think some types have a hard time receiving that you know because twos do give very generously and um but also what I wanted to say is as I've like worked on developing my four because the arrow strength for the two is the four I think I've realized there's all sorts of ways that I can be creative like my yoga sequences can be very creative and especially if like I get 
into my body, like I just start to get really creative. Or if I'm taking a yoga class and you get to that place of Shavasana, lots of creative ideas just come up. Like I'm like, oh, I'm gonna write this article. And so like going to my four where I, you know, am, am withdrawing and attending to self care and allowing myself to feel really opens me up um, for me to write or to plan a yoga class. So I think that I have a lot more creativity than I ever realized. Um, but I do think that we have to be careful of the stories we tell ourselves. Yeah. So that story, I'm not creative, is one I've gotten stuck yeah. in. And like like you said, it's not true. We're all hardwired for creativity. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> I would say two probably throw a good party too. You know, like I don't know oh, why, yeah. but I feel like a two would like to be the host of something and, and you know, a dinner party yeah. might be a way to be creative or there's so many ways to, to yeah. apply your creative expression to your Enneagram and Twos often yeah. have like warm, hospitable homes. Like yes. I'm not as much of a party giver, but I love having people come spend the night. Like I oh, love hosting yeah. like friends from college or whoever and have them spend the night. I just think that My that's worst great. nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> like Airbnb set. <laughs> I will see you for lunch. But I will say is I have like embraced my inner four, my inner Lauren, as I've like let that part of myself shine. I'm much more like eccentric in the way or eclectic, I guess mm -hmm. I should say, in the way that I decorate my house. Mm -hmm. And I think that's creative too. Like, oh, yes. like I was more of the traditionalist, let's do what other people might like sort of, you know, decorator at first. And now like you come into my house and it's just, it's different. I mean, I think, and that's a four energy to be different and unique. Like I, yeah. I definitely have a house that doesn't look like other people's houses. So. I have a funny story to tell y'all about this. So <laughs> okay. Christy and I were talking the other day, a while back, Christy, I don't know if you remember it. And I keep trying to get Christy to come live next to me. <laughs> and she just refuses. And then I said, well, Christy, you know what? I'm, I'm probably going to move out of this house, you know, eventually. You can just buy it. And Christy ever so lovingly says, Kat, as much as I know you love your white and gray kitchen, I just don't think I can do that. And I'm like, what? You don't like it all white? What? Which is, and everybody wants that right and, now. And like, Christy's like, I just don't know if I can do that. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, right there. Yeah, and I, I think I told you, too, that I wanted a house that was, like, built before 1950. And I said, no, you said, no. She said, she said, I want an old house. I was like, Christy, I have an old house. It's old as me. It was built in 1980. And Christy's like, no, I don't think I can do that either. It's, it's just not old enough. So I'm like, what? This is ancient. I was not built yesterday. So yeah, that's just the difference right there between one and two. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, each decision we make, whether, you know, it's decorating yeah. our house, it's yep. what we eat, it's what we wear. Like those are all, all self-expressions. They're all ways Creative. that we are creating our life. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. For our meditative moment, I'd love to start with a poem from Mary Oliver. Mary Oliver said the most regretful people on earth are those who felt the call to creative work, who felt their own creative power restive and uprising, and gave to it neither power nor time. 
So I'd like us to find a breath in and a deep breath out. Just ask yourself the question, what are places in your life that inspire creativity? I know for me, my yoga mat is a place that inspires creativity. My porch is a place that inspires creativity. Solitude is usually the birthplace of creativity, so take a moment to maybe breathe and meditate on those places in your life that inspire creativity. Let's take five sets of breath as we explore this question. And then I want you to ask yourself the question, how do you already engage in creativity? So what are the practices in your life that are already creative ones? You know, in my life, writing is a creative practice. Music is a creative practice. Yoga is a creative practice. And what's true for you? What are the creative practices in your life? Again, let's find five cleansing breaths. And then my final question is, what are some new creative pathways you want to explore in your life? Perhaps journaling, drawing a mandala, a dancing class, or something else? Going back to Mary Oliver's words, that there's often regret when we do not pursue the creative pathway and give it our power or time. Let's find five more sets of breath. What are those new creative pathways we want to explore? As Lauren said in the podcast interview today, that creativity leads us to wholeness. It leads us to life. It leads us to abundance. And so I just invite you to pursue that creativity that is within you. Namaste. Um, and Kat, I have you as starting. Are you good with yes, starting? Yes, I'm okay. good with starting. <laughs> okay. 
All right. Hi, Emily, and welcome. Thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. I'm so excited to be local in Chattanooga, like recording a podcast in person. I this know. is such a, so fun. I know, and chances are this probably would be aired when it's sunny and bright, but today we are in a man's soup weather. <laughs> I know. We all pretty much swim in here. We probably will be swimming out, so thank you for braving the rain. Thank of you course. For all right, well, let me kick it off with our first uh, question. So um, you took the Enneagram test and it looks like after looking at all your high numbers, which you, do you remember which, which numbers were the highest for you? Was I seven, eight, and threes? Yeah, they were yeah. the highest. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh my God, that is like, it's like you got cousin numbers. <laughs> All right. Effect of assertiveness. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. That is incredible. But so, but when you were uh, looking at all the description, looks like you landed on seven with an eight wing. Yeah. Which is an awesome combination. I'm married to a seven with an eight wing. Okay. So, so it is. Yes. I almost <laughs> said it's perfection. It's not perfection, but it's it's hand grenade. It's her close. favorite number. It's right. her favorite number. <laughs> Even though we're not supposed to have favorites and all numbers are good, she secretly I, I love this. I okay. <laughs> Loud and proud. So seven with an eight wing, generally independent, energetic, enthusiastic, of course, adventurous, lively witty, successful, and um, because you have an eight wing, you uh, are open to taking risks and uh, being okay sort of leading your way and have a really, my husband and I uh, talk about the um, uh, the risk tolerance. So I would say your risk tolerance is probably high up there. It right? is. And also you don't mind attracting other people's attention to, um, you know, whatever you're doing, whatever it is that you're doing. So does that kind of land close to if you were to talk a little about yourself and like how you are in life? You know, when we talk in Enneagram, I, talk, I took a um, training with Enneagram and my teacher would say, what is it like? Like, what is it like to be a seven with an eight wing? Does that sound pretty close to what it's like? So close. And what it's funny, because I had, I didn't know this, I had never taken a test. Yeah. And I've just been, I was really curious. And then when you sent that, when I got the results and you sent that back, I was like, wow, that explains a lot of what I know about myself, but especially like the risk tolerance. When you have that, but it's just part of who you are, I wouldn't have said, I just didn't understand why other people um, didn't have that capacity yeah. to as easily go, well, I'll just try it. Yeah. You know, I mean, after college, I had a wonderful, did great in college. And then I told my parents, and I just want to move to London for a while. I just want to travel and do that. You know? Of course you did seven with an eight way. Yeah. Of course yeah. Did. And I just always, that, and they were very supportive of that. I think because my whole life have sort of, they were raising yeah. me like that. And, um, So it was interesting to hear that enthusiasm and, yeah, I don't have a problem being seen. I love being around people, um, and I crave that new adventure all the time, whether it's through people or places or things, but there's a, I love experiences and really living them fully and appreciating them and everything that goes with it. I mean, if... If, if there is a seven description, yeah, that's this it. is it. Mm. Experience is the name of the game. Yeah. Right? And joy for life and passion and just adventure. Yep. 
Isn't that a great <laughs> world to live in? And it imagine is. like people like me, I was like, oh, must be so exhausting. And for seven, like, yes, let's do it some more. Yeah. That's incredible. I admire that so much. Well, thank you. And it's funny you say that because I remember looking at my friends that could just, they knew exactly the one thing they wanted to do. Yeah. And they would just did it right away. And that's what they did their whole lives. Mm-hmm. And I was like, What's wrong with me that I'm not like that? You're always looking to a different personality type and wondering, well, that seems like maybe that'd be easier, but why, why aren't I wired that way? And so I like these sort of things because it gives you that affirmation of like, I do know about that, about myself, but it gives you more self-awareness of what a gift. And these are the gifts Mm -hmm. I have to play with. And that makes so much sense why I've always really been drawn to experiences and I'm willing to, I know the benefit of that and what it, how it nurtures me, that if there's a risk involved, it's okay. Cause I'm so craving that experience and the people and the places that I don't, that risk doesn't calculate in the same way. That that's, that is incredible. Yeah. I love listening to that. That is such an interesting way to live your life. Literally. Yeah. Interesting yeah. in the best sense of we're not like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I I roll. No, uh-huh. truly it is so interesting. You you're never bored, I bet. Yeah. Ever. No. And people around you are never bored around you. That yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. I love that. Well, I love a seven with an eight wing. So <laughs> welcome to welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, Looking at your Instagram and tell everybody your Instagram handle just in case they want to follow you. What it's is it? At Emily Evans Russell. Okay, at Emily Evans Russell. But when um, I've been following you for a while, but um, I just noticed that you were always traveling somewhere exotic and fun. And then you have that smile of a seven, you know, they're, they're enthusiastic. They're called the enthusiast and they're, they have a joy that's contagious. And like when I watch your videos, that joy is there. So I just want to affirm like those positive seven qualities yeah. that I see in Thank you. you. But you also scored highs an eight and a three. Um, and your three was really pretty high. Yeah. And one of the reasons we talked a little bit about that is that you're in achiever mode right now at this point in your life but that hasn't been who you've always been like more historically younger self going to London was that seven yeah but right now you're doing some things the mover and shaker in the world and want to talk about that today as well but I also want to talk about the seven eight and three because they're all the assertive types on the Enneagram and that's rare for a woman in the south right yeah and so tell me like how has that been your strength and how has that maybe been a challenge where you bumped up against people because I know not everybody in the South can handle a strong, assertive woman who knows herself, you know? So tell us a little bit about that. I like that because I'm not originally from the South, right? Okay. So I moved here, I think it's been about eight years ago, and yeah. I love the Southern culture. Yeah. I would never live North again, not just for weather. I love everything about it. I grew up in the Midwest okay. and then lived in Chicago for many years. I grew up in Indiana about an hour from the city, okay. but then lived in the city okay. for many years. And I think the gift of that is I really, I'm, I really like having conversations. So if yeah. something, if there's a conflict or something that I see could work better, I don't have a problem talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, my father is quite a mediator and a really soft 
energy and has a way of being. So I think he also taught me, okay, if you're going to have the conversation, how do we have it through a very mediative way where you're not triggering people's reactions? Um, So I think I moderate the assertion with also awareness of who I'm talking to and what's actually going to create the greatest outcome, not having to be right, but still being willing to have my voice and be okay with this is, this is how this is for me, but what is that like for you? So kind of staying in the question with people. Um, and I, when I first moved here, uh, my first friend in Chattanooga, our girls met, they were going to the same school and she's this incredible, you know, born and raised Southern, um, her mother's from Charleston, so she has the really good, like, uh, southern yeah, Charleston yeah. accent. And she knows everybody in Chattanooga. And she was a great first person to meet. Yeah. And she sort of embodies, she's also a very strong woman, but has those southern traits um, that I just found really fascinating. And she also has no judgment in her world. Wow. And I'm really drawn to people like that, mm-hmm. um, because I think that's key. If you're going to, if you are assertive, it's like, to not have judgment of how other people are functioning or yourself. And then it doesn't give you conflict. It just gives you an ability to be able to speak up about things Mm -hmm. without creating um, headbutting. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. And describing your dad, your dad sounds like a peacemaker. It's sometimes even called the mediator on the Enneagram. And that softness of the peacemaker would really help somebody who's strong in 7, 8, and three to have conversations in a way where they could be heard. Yeah. You know, but yeah. especially when you have that non judgmental open spirit, you're also going to be more likely to, people are going to feel the open heartedness yeah. and, and hear you. Yeah. And not be as threatened. So yeah. it doesn't sound like it's been as much of a challenge. And so, hey, thanks, Daddy, right? <laughs> right exactly. I'd be so curious to know what my mom and dad are yeah. after doing this, but that really very much describes him. Yeah, he definitely, the way you described mm-hmm. him. I mean, I could be wrong, but it, he does sound like at least he's high in nine if he's not at nine, yeah. right? Yeah, So that's really cool. All right, well, my question about um, is about being a seven with an eight wing. So one of the thing, and it's interesting, you've mentioned the non-judgment. So can you imagine a world where judgment is like a middle name of who you are? Can you believe it? Wow. I know, right? That's me. (laughs) So, and I'm married to a seven, and judgment, I think, to a seven feels and sounds very opposite of joyful. And I think also judgment um, creates this this result of, like, I feel like I disappointed you, and that feels really crummy mm. for a seven as well. Would that land for you? Absolutely. You think? Yeah. So the, the beauty of a seven is the joyfulness, but also comes with sort of a other half of the package, and it is uh, trying to avoid emotional pain. Emotional pain is like a big no-no as far as, and all the numbers have the avoidances, and for seven, that is it. And a lot of times, the way that sevens would avoid it is by distracting themselves. Goals, joy, experiences, more achievement, what have you. So could you talk a little bit about that in terms of avoiding the suffering? And the suffering doesn't really you know, feel good to anybody, but you would be surprised some Enneagram numbers 
can kind of feel the suffering and stay in it for a while yeah. and almost see the beauty in it. And I wouldn't say force enjoy it, but they kind of like feel very comfortable there, mm -hmm. uh, which for seven, I don't think suffering and emotional pain feels very comfortable at all. I would even go further like I want to run away as soon as I can and as fast as I can. Uh, so could you talk a little bit about how that has played in your life and maybe importance of embracing it, which, you know, makes you feel very vulnerable, perhaps, to be in it and stay in it. So how has that presented in your life, emotional pain and suffering? That's a great question. Um, and it makes sense because I've done a lot of work around that. So I think I can be in it more. It is very easy for me. This might be the achiever wing of it um and because i love experience to stay busy yeah um and so i've noticed i can recognize when i'm going into doing mm -hmm. to either stay in a pattern or keep going and so i've really made an effort especially um in the last few years actually yeah. as i've been growing my own business and been aware of with that i need to take time to just be yeah. and when stuff comes up what I just watched a documentary called Becoming Nobody. Have you ever seen it no. with Ram Das? It's, it's <gasps> phenomenal. And there's some great lines in there about suffering. And um, in there, one of the lines was, there's as much a gift, if not more so, in getting what we don't want rather than what we do. Because it shows you so much about like when we we're little kids and we're like, yeah. but I didn't get that. And, yeah. But that brings up all of the stuff where you get to see well, what is that that's triggering me? Because that actually, I can't control the outside world. Yeah. So that that pain or that suffering or that hands on my hips, why didn't I get what I wanted, yeah. actually shows you that. So I'm, I really like that exploration. So I might be kind of strange for a seven in that I way. It that. hasn't been natural. Evolved like I've, for a seven. Yeah. Evolved. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Showing growth. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. possible. It's just really hard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's why, you know, and when it's hard, you don't want to do it. Yep. So that just shows growth. Yeah. So I've worked into my, because of that, I've worked into my daily life and practices more ways to integrate and just be. Mm -hmm. Because I, I can get imbalanced if I don't have that. So, you yeah. know, daily meditating and yeah. um, taking time to just be with my kids and not have any phone around or anything to yeah. do. You mm -hmm. know, taking walks, being in nature with animals, all of that so that what is there can come up and I can be with that and integrate it and process it rather than push it away. Cause I know that pushing it away just, mm -hmm. um, it does make it go away. It's still there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. still there. And the yoga, we say that, you know, to get over the pain or through the pain, you have to sit in it. And that's the, that's the hard work, you know, sitting in it. Mm -hmm. So then you can let it go. And funny, you've mentioned Ram Dass. So I love Ram Dass. Mm -hmm. And um, interesting story. So this past weekend, yoga, Chrissy and I are yoga teachers. And um, part of the gig sometimes we do uh, yoga teacher training. So I had a yoga teacher training weekend with uh, young, new, um, upcoming yoga teachers. And one of my students, whom I worked with for a long time, gave me a gift that got me so emotional. And it was a quote by Ram Das that he did like the, the, the graphic around and framed. And basically it said, um, you are loved as you are. You don't have to do anything to earn it. 
And I was like, mm. oh my God, you spoke to my soul mm. because I'm Enneagram One and Ones tend to constantly try to earn other mm-hmm. people's love. It wow. just, you know, that, you know, the work for one is you're, you're already good enough. You don't have to continue to earn mm-hmm. and show that. So Ramdas got some stuff yeah. for all of us, I think, on the Enneagram. And usually Christy, the one who can just like spit a quote from top of her dome <laughs> and I always sit quietly and I'm like, I'm going to show you. But yes, thank you so much for sharing. But I do think it's a sign of growth. Yeah. To be able to recognize that, you know, what you're doing and then why you're doing it. Mm -hmm. And then get outside of that comfort zone and kind of like sit in the muck. Yeah. You know, in the mud so you can get to the lotus in the mud. And I think in sitting it, and, you know, I've been trained as a yoga teacher and I now just practice, I don't teach. But I, was sitting it without aversion, you know, not trying to push it away and also not attachment to something else. And I know when, um, I have two daughters and when my first daughter got diagnosed with type one diabetes about four years ago, and that was such a whole life rearrange. Mm -hmm. And I remember a friend saying to me, it's okay if you don't want to get out of this right now. Know that you have like a magic wand and tools to go forward when you're ready, but it's okay to just be in this right now and be frustrated and and mad at the world and all of that. And it was such a gift because I don't know if this is a seven thing, but I want to get out of it as fast as I can. Mm -hmm. Um, And to give myself that grace of it's okay to stick in this for a while, however long it takes, you know, and not that I need to sit and suffer so I can earn my way out. Just it is what it is and I have the tools to get out of it when I would like to and it's okay to have that come up and that's been such a gift yeah there's grief in an illness like Mm -hmm. that and I would say you know we talked about the seven eight and three being the assertive types they're also the three types that tend to deny the heart space so Mm -hmm. they avoid feeling right they have especially sad feelings especially Um, You know, like a type 8 would be much more comfortable with with anger, and so would a type 3. But sad feelings going into the, this is hard, this is painful. All three types struggle with that. So you've been doing your work around that, and I mean, that's that's why we're here. The Enneagram would say, like, we don't want to get stuck in our personality. We we don't want to keep, it has its strengths, but we don't want to keep that mask on for the rest of our life. Like, we want to actually become the high side of all nine numbers and and integrate all of the the beauty and spirituality of those numbers into our being so so yeah so I can tell you've been working on this for a while and thank God for friends who say oh my goodness you can sit in this yeah and when when you said that about the grief too I noticed um when that happened one of the things that was most upsetting Mm-hmm. was kind of, I think probably for a seven, or I would know for me, one of the things I value the most is freedom. Mm-hmm. Yes. Time freedom, yeah. energy, for all of that. And with that, it was so hard to go, wow, this affects all of us. Yeah. Like it's mm-hmm. going on for her. And yeah. the first thing that was like frustrating was, ugh. Yeah. Now we all have to be yeah. stuck in this. Restricted. Restricted yeah. so Down. much. Yeah. Take the freedom away. Yes. It feels horrible. I want to push it away. Yeah. And yeah. so that was interesting to notice that that was, yeah. you know, mixed with all these things. I don't want that to have to be yeah. the life for my daughter. But I noticed it was very much yeah. like, ugh, feeling yeah. Yeah. restricted by yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a seven thing. Yeah. <laughs> 
So if we see like pictures, like a quintessential picture of a seven might be them bungee jumping or they're jumping up and two feet are off the ground. And so like being grounded, like getting two feet to the earth is really hard for a seven. So how do you get grounded? Like how do you balance that part of yourself that can be a little frenetic and always wants to go and do? How do you find your, your place to sit and to be? Um, so what are the grounding practices in your life, Emily? I know, I know you've done a lot of spiritual work, so you've got them. What are they? Definitely anything with my body. I feel like that very much brings me back to yeah. the present, but calming things. So I've been loving yin yoga. Yeah. which I didn't do in my younger years. Um, and I realized how nurturing that is for me because yeah. I can be go, go, go. Mm-hmm. So just to sit mm-hmm. and do like three poses in an hour yeah. <laughs> is wonderful. Like, so that I love taking sea salt baths um, and, and being in there with some maybe bentonite clay and then allowing that just to sit and be still. Um, and then allowing like the water to drain and kind of that feel down into the earth. Um, meditation is a practice, especially right now. I'm really on this new two time a day thing that's helping a lot. Being with my girls and my dog and nature, like taking a walk when I, when I just tend to go off, it's like being with anything with the earth and my body, it seems to be really helpful. And I really do know it for me that's required to add in um like you mentioned you see me traveling a lot and so I if I am always on the go and on a plane I will very shift and shift quickly into an imbalance yeah. so I know that I bring my mat with me and mm-hmm. I just even if it's just doing some poses on the ground you know mm-hmm. after I get off of a flight or so I can bring myself mm-hmm. back with that mm-hmm. um eating like in the winters eating really warm cooked like foods to sort of ground myself as well yeah and you're um I've only been in your home once but it seemed to be a very grounding place so I wonder if that's part of your grounding too just creating a safe space for yourself I love to be at I had a um I think it was a therapist once who told me, you know, you're you're actually an introvert who's just extremely good with people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said that kind of matches because yeah. I love being out in the world and having these adventures and I really require a home base and like stillness and some alone time as well. Yeah. Um so Do yes, you know my house. Why? Why that is? Uh huh. Do you want to know? Yeah, sure. Because a seven in health moves towards a five Enneagram five, which is an investigator, observer, most introverted uh, type who uh, is very comfortable in stillness and quiet, in solitude, and requires that for well being. So for a seven, it is medicine to be alone, to be quiet, to kind of take a pause in stillness it's medicinal that's why makes so much sense I've noticed that and it's like a requirement yeah and I love being even though I like being around people that Mm -hmm. time alone yeah it fills Mm -hmm. me back up yeah yeah Mm -hmm. you have to that's what brings you back to balance to the healthy balance it's the best the sevens I know who are healthy have a strong five like they Mm -hmm. love to read like a five does they like to pull away and make time to just get grounded to the earth. So yeah, what Kat said is is definitely spot on. Wow. And also it is rare for a seven to be 
an introvert, but it's possible. Like I'm a two and I'm also an introvert. It's more rare for twos and sevens um, to be introverts, but, um, but you know, it, it happens. So yeah. <laughs> it, who knows, you know, they're all labels, but I said, I definitely resonate with, they I are. love to be out and yeah. I like, I know yeah. I require my yeah. in time. Yeah. And yeah. it may just be that, you know, we've both been doing a lot of intentional work for a long time and the two goes to the four, which is also a much more grounded number mm. when they're in a healthy place. And so who knows, yeah. but it, it is, and they are all just, labels that we want to get out of yeah. and I would say even with the Myers-Briggs like if you're really strong in the I you want to work on your E mm-hmm. you know and if you're really strong in the E work on your I same thing with the N and the S and all of it you yeah. know you just want to work on balance yeah, yeah. so for sure yeah well you've mentioned your uh, certified yoga teacher which I love 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 and what I love more about that is the fact that you said I practice still even though I don't teach and so oftentimes I was thinking about it today um, you know when you do a yoga teacher training you want to ask folks you know do you want to teach once you're done or is it just to grow your practice and kind of get more knowledge and I was thinking about my um, 200 hour and they were I did not want to teach and now 10 years later I still am and there were uh, folks there who were there just so they can get certified because their goal was to open a yoga studio to teach for the rest of their life and I don't even see them in classes anymore like they sold their studios and they don't even practice so that makes me sad so I loved hearing that you still practice so talk a little bit about that what brought you to yoga why did you want to get certified how that has sort of you know taken space in your life wow I I think I did my first yoga class when I was living in Japan Uh, I went there to teach English for a year when I was about 25. Mm -hmm. And so I don't understand the language at all, but I could go to a yoga class and understand the poses. And I really fell in love with it. And then I came back to Chicago and I had a friend of mine that was a teacher Mm -hmm. and we became good friends. He later opened a studio that he still runs in Chicago, which is where I did my teacher training. And it was very different at that time because the, he, they were one of the only studios in Chicago. Um, it was when core power yoga was mm-hmm. really big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, their studio and their style of practice always involves a lot of pranayama and breath work and meditation. And I was really drawn to that balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went in thinking I, I had my two, my youngest was six months when I did the teacher training I was like pumping at at class (laughs) and so I really wanted to do prenatal yoga Mm -hmm. as I was at that phase in my life and thinking well I can do a little bit of that along Mm -hmm. with this and then I I worked with a lot of women and loved it and I also started practicing um, access bars at the time which Uh is a touch point therapy for Mm -hmm. the head and a lot of the time I started having more clients come for that that were pregnant women or women And so it didn't quite go as planned. And I thought, well, this is interesting. I'm sort of being led to doing this other thing right now, but my personal practice, I also took it in part for that reason. So when I'm at home, I know how to sequence poses and I can do that for myself. But now, even though I can do that, Mm -hmm. I love being in a class and having a really wonderful teacher lead it, you know? And I'm so appreciative of that knowledge that I just love being taken care of as a student and having that practice and and I can do it on my own but I really love being in the community and in a class when I can. Mm -hmm. It's a gift I think to 
feel other people's energy and to be cared for, to receive, like you said. Mm -hmm. If you could give a shout out to a teacher that's been really meaningful to you here in Chattanooga. I know you said you've been doing a lot of yin yoga, but it could be any style. Um, what, who are some of the teachers that have been really instrumental for you here? Um, Della Wheeler. Oh, Della oh, Wheeler. We right. we her oh my gosh. Right. Um, and Jessica Jolly I, yeah. and Maria Fowler. I go to yep. a lot there too. Yeah. And I just, they're, they're all slight, like different teachers, but all of them have such a wisdom and wonderful knowledge of, I love all of their yeah. classes. Yeah. And so I go as often as I can live, but I love that they have an online option yeah. so that in the middle of my day, if it's like just before school pickup or around yeah. some meetings, I can still practice um, yeah. and do it in my house. And so I've, I was very grateful upon moving to Chattanooga to find it. It took me a few years. Yeah. To find a studio. Um, yeah. And that's where I ended up, and I just yeah. love it. Yeah. And they are wonderful. And for anybody who's listening who's not in this area, you can do their virtual yeah. classes, yeah. and they are really amazing. So, Yoga Landing, and you can just yogalanding.net mm-hmm. and find their virtual classes. And Maria Fowler, Della Wheeler, and Jessica Jolly um, were the three she mentioned. Kat teaches there as yeah. well. And mm-hmm. so, a shout out to Yoga Landing because it is a special place yeah. and you it can is. take their classes anywhere in the world. So, yeah. um, so for anybody who's listening, we do have people who listen from all over yeah. the yeah. world. So, they could, they could get a lot out of that. Um, so tell me a little bit about play. Enneagram sevens are good at playing. I would say like, I'm actually really high in seven. It's my third highest number, but uh, out of all the characteristics of the seven play is probably not why I'm high in seven. Like I have a lot of ideas. I like to travel. There's a lot about me that, um, fits the seven, but not the play part. I can be a little serious because of my one wing and very responsible. Um, I've had to learn from my daughter how to play. Um, I'm still working on that. Like, I just don't know how to play, but you guys often do. Like, your world is a playground, right? (laughs) Right? That would be a good metaphor for a seven. So tell us um, how you're playful and how you invite play in your life. It's funny that this is one of your questions because you know how when you have a WhatsApp account or Skype, you have to pick a little description of what you're yeah. doing. Yeah. I've uh-huh. always had I'm like busy. I'm, I'm playing or play 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 as my words I put there, which is funny. Um, so I would describe it kind of like you. I I really intend to add playfulness and pleasure to everything I'm doing uh-huh. all the time. So. Right now, some of the things where I would say it's are tr- is truly play, like it's not for being healthier or doesn't have any agenda, is I recently, um, when I was in Mexico with my girls over the break, and we did surf lessons. <gasps> I hear it so oh hard. Oh my gosh. So hard. It doesn't look so hard. You just hop on that thing and ride the wave. It's hard. Apparently it's but hard. But it's Fun. Like that's why I was like, I was just laughing. I I was coming out of, you know, and we're in, it's my first time. So we're in very little waves and they help push you so that you're the speed of the wave. And and I got up, you know, and I was just, and I would just fall and I was getting out with my board and this, this older gentleman who looks like he's been surfing his whole life. He was like, well, at least you're having fun. And I was like, yeah. So, So 
I went online and I found this amazing, a friend recommended Dream Sea Surf Camps. And she said, it's great for kids. And so we're going to Portugal this summer. (gasps) So I've been on a mission to get stronger because you do like, you have to have quite a bit of upper body strength. But yoga helps with this because the core strength and balance, I was already like able to get up and I thought, okay, if I could just get my arms a bit stronger for the paddling. Um, but so things like that, um, I love horse riding. I don't do it enough here, but when I travel, I try to add in things that just have, like, they're just for the fun of it. Mm -hmm. It's not really, there's not a target in mind with my kids. I love going, like, doing sort of playful adventures where we play games at the house. Like, oh, mom, seriously, we, we have to play a game with you? I'm like, yes, please, just <laughs> just 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to do more of that. Like, I didn't grow up in a house where we played a lot of games, and I, I definitely want to be intentional to do more of that. Yeah. So, um, but it doesn't come naturally to me, but sevens, it often does. So. It does not come naturally to me, you know. So I have two kids, and... I would have probably much rather stab myself with an ice pick in the eye than go to a playground. Like, playground <laughs> is uh, such work for me. And my seven husband, like, oh my God, what are you okay. talking about? This is so fun. I'm like, oh, another slide. I don't know. It might kill me this time. <laughs> but yeah, it's just the difference. It's truly enjoying play. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And pleasure, too. I like yes. that you use the word pleasure. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, um, when we can really wire our subconscious minds to target things that feel good to do, but also feel good to have done Mm -hmm. then and adding pleasure to that because we're so driven for what makes us feel good and what's comfortable. And for a lot of people that can draw you away from more experiences. Like I want to stay safe and I want to just be comfortable. But one of the keys to going in new directions was if you make it pleasurable along the way. So like, even Mm -hmm. if I have to sit down and do my taxes, well then I'm going to light a candle. I really love and like get my favorite blanket and like make anything pleasurable. So I don't start like having an aversion to it and avoiding it. And so I think for me, the pleasure and play and talking about that can really make things that we might avoid or have conclusions about, like, that's not for me, or I don't want to do it. It's pretty amazing when you add that in that your mind won't pull you away from it and you can actually move forward towards things um, in a different way. Oh, okay. So for taxes, because I haven't, I always do ours and I haven't done them yet. I'm going to light a candle. I'm going to have chocolate on hand. Yep. And I'm going to have a nice cup of hot tea and I'm going to do my taxes. What a great idea. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And we're all like sensory different, right? So that's why like smells, tastes, like you've got chocolate there. Um, I like to have, if if it's daytime, I can look out the window at the trees. Like something, so whatever you sense is you really love taking things in with. When you add that in, then even something like taxes, you can be like, I can actually enjoy this yeah because every year when taxes start to creep up it's like it's that thing hanging over your head but if you can add pleasure to it mm-hmm. great point mm-hmm. do y'all want me to freak y'all out i am yes. so looking forward to taxes i'm riding my husband like babe i think we got everything i think we got everything i think we're ready to go so my uh pleasure uh experience every morning while i drink my coffee i balance my checkbook I look at all of our bills. I make sure everything is where it needs to be. And it, like, soothes you. Can you imagine? Would that be, like, the worst punishment no, ever? No, I can imagine that. First thing in the morning. Like, it just, 
just my thing to do, and then I'm off. Then to you're the good. Day. Like it's yeah. all sorted. Yes. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I get Chris that. Like, of course you do. Of it's course. just it's very one like, isn't it? Like I'm gonna do it every day. I'm being every organized. Day. Like, every day. Oh maybe gosh. a little obsessive. But right. I mean, I mean, I'm not my husband's like, you are a freak of nature, a freak of nature, and it's like it's my favorite thing of the morning. I can, oh I can only say that word obsessive as your oh friend. Oh my god, so obsessive. So obsessive. All right. Well, let me shift gears to my other favorite thing, which is gratitude. And I hear you love the practice of gratitude. And I hear it was a game changer for you to kind of have it as a daily or continuous constant practice. So talk a little bit about it. Because, you know, we're very big on gratitude around November-ish. And then it kind of goes away. So how do you keep it a constant in your life? I... Really, I again, this is sort of a, a trick with the subconscious because we all hear, we know, okay, I should be grateful. Yeah. Um, and to notice and appreciate the things that are working in your life, the people, and when we appreciate something and actually put our attention on it, yeah. our subconscious filters around that. Mm-hmm. So instead of if you have a partner and you're always noticing which is also appreciate like you don't mm-hmm. feel appreciative but when you mm-hmm. place attention on it the yeah. things that annoy you yeah. your mind literally filters then things to match that yeah. so really rather than going oh my god I forget things all the time appreciate and have gratitude for when you remember something mm-hmm. and that it's 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 very easy to do the opposite yeah um you know our minds are made to scan for what's wrong you know that was an advantage when we were you know, out on the plains, yep. okay, is there anything off here? What's wrong? So it's like a, you actually have to have it be a practice to notice instead mm-hmm. and appreciate all what is working, where it's like the, what is going on. And when you do that, the mind readjusts. Mm-hmm. And so not only can you have the intention to like, okay, I'm going to be grateful, but when you get like that 95% of the subconscious on board, also mm-hmm. knowing it automatically will start to notice and appreciate and be grateful. And that becomes more of an experience of being in that yeah. grateful state rather than having to do a gratitude list, yeah. which is wonderful because it starts to switch that. Yeah. But when you bring that on board, it it becomes more from the inside and more yeah. lasting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that perspective. You know, a lot of times I think we try to force feed ourselves, okay, four things, let me think, four things that I'm <laughs> grateful for today, yada, yada, blah, blah. But like you said, paying attention and just shifting your perspective to not what's wrong but what's right. Yeah. As simple as that creates that sense of gratitude. It really automatically. Is. I love that. Mm. I prefer that much more than okay, my husband, my home, food that we ate, you know, yeah. and yeah. it just kinda like I don't know. I love that approach. Yeah. Cause it can become I think this could be the achiever in me. It can just become a list or a yeah. thing that you need to do. Yeah. yeah. And okay. doing gratitude is very different than being in it. And right. I think being in it really does come from the inside. And I realized how valuable it is to have the subconscious like assisting and always looking yeah. for what mm-hmm. to be your, how are you supported all the time that yeah. we often overlook because, and so when you focus on that and be appreciative and have gratitude, yeah. it starts to yeah. flow more. That is an awesome Jedi mind trick. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Like and it. it's so akin to what I heard you saying to mindfulness, right? Yep. You know, because John Kabat-Zinn said mindfulness is paying attention in a particular way 
on purpose in the present moment non-judgmentally that yeah. non-judgment that you were talking about early earlier and so gratitude is paying attention to all that we have right yep. um who we have not just what we have but yeah. who we have and when we feel that abundance then it shifts that negative mindset to you know what you're afraid of what you're fearing um to wow this is i'm alive yeah I just I uh, heard this tip on a, another podcast I was listening to. He said one of the easiest ways to switch to that is one of the things we are truly supported by all the time is like water. You know, you have to drink it all mm-hmm. the time. He said put post-it notes just for a little while on like your toilet next to your shower where you get your water from and it and start to notice how supported you actually are. I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm an experimenter. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'm gonna try this. And it also, it really rewires the brain to be like, yeah, there's things I might want or desire, but actually everything I really require to support me, air, water, there's food in my fridge, is there all the time? But we don't Mm -hmm. notice it if you don't appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And just that little bit makes you feel like, I'm so supported and taken care of. Yeah. I love that. I love that so much. So yesterday I got to have an access bars session with you, which was amazing. I was telling Kat, like, I haven't ever experienced anything quite like it, but the the most similar thing is the, I think it's called the craniosacral acupuncture or acupressure. Um, But it was amazing. And so tell us a little bit. I'll tell a little bit about my experience after you tell us okay. a little bit about access bars, what it is, why it's important, why it's a healing practice for people. Yeah, I first discovered it actually after the birth of my second daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a quite traumatic birth. I was planning a home birth. It did not go that way. Mm-hmm. And so I really was having postpartum depression. And that is not my natural mm-hmm. state at all. Mm-hmm. And after six months of like meditating and doing yoga, none, none of the tools I had available was changing it. And I ended up meeting a woman not a, for something totally different. And mm-hmm. she was an excess bars practitioner. And mm-hmm. I saw a little, like it's these 32 different points on the head. Mm-hmm. She had a, so she, in her office, she had a diagram of the head points and my whole body just turned and was, what is that? What is that? Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, it's just this thing that sort of gets you out of the way of you. You know, um, I thought, that's interesting. Okay. Um, so I did a class because she said mm-hmm. you could either take a class or I do sessions. But if you take a class, you can also learn, you learn to do it. And then mm-hmm. you can trade with people. So that, that sounds good. Um, and in my first session in the class, I got up, I've received from a person who had also never experienced it. He was learning that day too. And so much of the trauma, the anger around the birth, like just mm-hmm. melted in an hour. And I had such a sense of joy again that I had been missing. Mm-hmm. And I thought, whatever this is, I'm pretty curious about it. So then I went on to learn to be a practitioner and then teach the class. And it is different for everyone. What I will say is it seems to get rid of, delete, lift off all of these like mm-hmm. tight energies and points of view and limitations that aren't yours. And it's not like... I add energy into you and it's you're you literally just as like a touch point system like cleaning up the hard drive of your computer mm-hmm. and so I just noticed wow I have a lot more creativity and energy and things are flowing a lot easier and 
that trauma that like I could get triggered pretty quickly. Mm. I couldn't trigger it anymore. Um, and that's what I see with people. It's always different, but there's a lightness that gets added to your world. And mm. a lot of like the burden, the heaviness you're carrying, it's great for PTSD, for just busy minds and that. Mm. So, um, it's pretty wild. And it's another one of those practices that mm. I just was like, this doesn't totally make sense to my logical mind, Mm -hmm. but I will experiment and try it. And I'm very Mm -hmm. much like that. And if something works, I'm like, okay, I will add this into my toolbox of everything I have available. Yeah, for sure. And I I would say for me, I mean, I did feel lighter after the session, but I, during the session, it felt like a really good experience at church or in yoga or maybe on a hike where you feel those God chills, you know, it felt like, oh, wow, my crown chakra was just, like, alive, like, I don't know, that was, so that was powerful for me, um, I don't know how else to explain it, except, like, it was the first half, I, I was thinking a lot, and by the second half, I was more present, Mm -hmm. but I think some of the things that I was thinking about were really important, like, I was being curious about parts of myself, and, things that I needed to work on and so and then that helped me to be more present but I do believe like in the power of points whether it's like acupuncture EMDR body tapping even there's some good research on drumming and how that can help with depression and anxiety because this like the touch of fingers it's just so powerful um so I believe in access bars (laughs) um I've only done it once um but I've you know, had a lot of other experiences with different forms of touch and tapping. And yeah. They're all powerful, even massage. I mean, I, I think we move things out of the body when we get a really good massage, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, we're holding so much in our bodies. And so using these modalities where we can let some of that go is really important. Yeah. So thank you. You're so welcome. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. It, our body is like, I think you just said it so beautifully. There's so much wisdom there and our bodies will, their desires to take care of and heal us and let go of things mm-hmm. and to give, I think it's a lot of just taking, having that ask and intention to do that and giving our bodies the space mm-hmm. to gift us in that way and have that wisdom. Um, and, I love seeing that in so many ways and, and access bars has been such a gift with that, you know, and the people I get to work with and mm-hmm. yeah. And you said there's some really good research too, um, that they're starting to do about access bars and like what's happening yeah. in the brain, like those alpha theta waves, you know, that, and, but also that there was, they were noticing something about creativity. What was that? Yeah, and I always get the name of the brainwaves mixed up, but one of the first, um, like, white papers that this gentleman did was, he said, he'd been studying meditators for 20 Uh years. He said, you always, that meditative state, that's the theta wave, right? Uh Uh-huh. He said, but when they monitor people getting their bars, and he said, you have the theta waves, and he said, but it's interesting the creativity center of the brain was lit up at the same time. He said, you don't often see those together. You're usually, like deep, deep, deep theta, but everything kind of goes offline. And he yeah. said that's, and that's how I would describe what I've noticed too, is you get this relaxation, but then that creative energy seems, so it's interesting to know the brain scan yeah. had that. And when you said, um, 
almost like that God space. The other actually published article, there's just a, it was a pilot study, so yeah. the sample size was small, but it was like peer journal. Uh-huh. And what it increases is brain coherence, which is a lot that sense that we get when we're out in nature where everything mm-hmm. kind of aligns together and the static goes away. Yeah, yeah. Like a, an experience of awe. About, yeah. 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 Oh, I love that. Yeah. Well, it was really, really great. So thank you and for the healing work you're doing for so many. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Emily, I saw a recent Instagram post where you said your energy is your most valuable resource and how are you using it? So can you tell us a little bit about what makes energy valuable and why is it valuable to you and how do you use it? Oh my goodness. Well, <laughs> as we know, we're, we're really energetic beings, mm-hmm. you know, um, and we know now with all of with science that when we talk about atoms that make up our bodies, they're 99% space, mm-hmm. which is energy. Mm-hmm. And that's, and we all have a unique, you know, as with mm-hmm. Enneagram, a unique fingerprint of energy. And it's always available to us. So it's not, there's not a limited amount, right? It's always shifting, shifting form, but it's not being created or destroyed but to, to honor what brings us more energy, more life force, um, what fills us, rather than choosing things that drain our energy. And so that's where I speak about that it really is your most valuable resource. Because without, without having your energy filled up and lit up, we really don't have it to gift to anybody or the why we're all here in the world for different reasons, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So one of the things I love looking at with people is, okay, when you look at something on your calendar or an event that you have to do is you can actually ask yourself and kind of indulge. Okay. After having done that, Mm -hmm. what's my energy going to be like? Mm -hmm. Will I be more filled up and more alive? Or is it something that I'm going to be more drained after? Mm -hmm. Am I choosing it out of obligation or I should do that or I kind of have to? Mm -hmm. And when you're aware of that, now there are going to still be some things that you might have to do, our obligations. That's where I add in the pleasure Mm -hmm. and the play. Mm -hmm. Um, But even like tapping into that and acknowledging like that is my most precious resource. So I really want to gift it and use it in the most, in the way that's going to create the most with my life, the people around me so that I have more to nurture and give myself and the world around me. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) I was just gonna say that um, people often ask me about being a therapist and it's kind of a lot of comments like I can't imagine like all that you're holding how that you do how you do that and I hear what they're saying because we do hold a lot as therapists but but at the end of the day and I have to do a lot of self-care because we are holding a lot but I am energized by it like it lights me up like it's probably you know that helper and I'm an Enneagram 2 helper so you know there's something about the the empathy and the listening that's just part of who I am and it makes me feel very alive and and I do think like we are here to find those things that make us feel alive you know and so you know what what we're passionate about what brings joy and you know, it's, it's so many things, but like going to my niece's basketball game, yeah, that brings me life. Doing my job does, teaching yoga. Um, I do a lot of different things because they're what drives me. They're, you know, we've talked about this podcast as our 
passion project. Yeah. We may not have a million followers, but we love it, yeah. right? We love interviewing people. There's we always feel life after, you know, time with people like you. Yeah. Um, so what's life giving, you know? Yeah. And that's really important. So mm-hmm. yes, amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> What were you thinking? Because you said, I love it at the same time. I just love it. It Again, just to hear that joyful passion and just so much mindfulness. And like you said, one is not mutually exclusive of the other. And it, it's just your wisdom, your, ener- your energy. I'm very energy sensitive. So just your energy is just so light and just good to be around so I love how you talked about energy I always tell my husband who's a seven I always tell him you know he says time is his most valued um, resource and to me I think he says time but he means energy Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because you know time is the concept that you know you can waste it you can whatever and then it's really is it is it that valuable but the energy the presence are you presence and are you giving you when you're giving yourself to something or somebody yeah is that worth your while or are you just giving it away or you know so that's a that's a constant conversation at my house I love that because when you say that it's for me it's not what you do with your time but it's the energy with which you do it so if I'm going to spend an hour with a person or doing a task that is a very different hour depending on my energy and how I approach that and so that's why I would say it's I I really get that because I I I want to use my time Mm -hmm. in a way but it's the energy with which we Mm -hmm. do it not Mm -hmm. so much the task itself Mm -hmm. or the thing Mm -hmm. we're doing yeah are you here are you with me yep yeah and I think too we've been talking in this interview about like even if we are really passionate and yes, I want to do this and yes, I want to give my energy to this. We also have to have places in our life where we're receiving energy from others. Like you said, it's really important for you to go to a yoga class and be held by somebody else's energy, right? Like we have to find places where we can um, have that poured back into us, you know, um, in order to go out and give. Right. Yeah. I was just um, the other day I was researching the heroine's journey versus we always hear about the hero's journey, which is kind of the storyline we see in all movies and what we're drawn to. And I was looking at that for my own business because I'm about to launch a product for for women specifically. And I was like, there has to be a version of this that's slightly different for women. And sure enough, one of them was, you know, when you finally get through your challenges for women. And I think this probably resonates with me as a. seven eight three having this assertiveness mm-hmm. said that not only can you nurture others but you allow yourself to be nurtured mm-hmm. and you kind of come back to this whole of seeing all of that and all mm-hmm. of these facets that could be very you know out there and masculine and assertive balanced with mm-hmm. the gifts of that mm-hmm. and the gifts of giving to others and receiving and I yeah. thought, yeah, that's so true. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love the heroine's journey because we need, <laughs> we need some feminine language yeah. for that as well. Yeah. That way, yeah. that's really important. Well, um, just for fun, I know on Instagram, and again, um, your Instagram is at Emily Evans Russell. Um, you have a lot of quotes, and um, I love quotes, like Kat <laughs> said earlier. Um, and and so, tell us one that's really meaningful to you. Um, or motivational in your own life? 
My favorite one is the one by Carl Jung, and I might get this, I should have memorized it specifically before I came in, but it's until you make the unconscious conscious, it will rule your life and you will call it fate. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And I love that one because like you said, if, if you just let it sit there and you're not aware of it or conscious of it, you think your life is just happening to you and this is just the way things must be in fate. But when you actually bring it and are willing to look at it consciously, then you realize, whoa, I'm the creator of this. Can I can create my reality around me. I love that. And you know, one thing he also said that relates to the Enneagram, he said, we, we spend the first half of our life developing an ego and the last half of our life learning to let it go. And so like we, there are, these ego parts of us that we have to let go. I mean, not that your your seven, my two, your one don't have their strengths, but there's some other parts where we've gotten really stuck in ego, mm-hmm. and we have to do that unconscious work that you're talking yeah. about in order to let it go. So yeah. I love Carl Young. By just side note, top of the dome, like give me somebody who's had a quote. She remembered the same person saying a different quote. <laughs> right? Top of so the good. Dome, baby. I know. Yeah, that's a gift. That just is wait, a gift. Just wait until I have this baby, that's and I will have my baby. That way you can level down to me. Level. Right. Down. Right. Then right. We, you'll just appreciate everything you do remember. <laughs> that. That's when I would be coming over saying, Your name is Christy and I'm Kim. Like, you remember that? Let me remind you. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to need some help. For those who don't know, I'm having a baby in April. So, uh, so yeah, so things are about to change with my memory. <laughs> it already has its good days. About it. <laughs> oh, Emily, before we even started taping, and you've mentioned you've launched a podcast, so I want to talk a little bit about it. So the name is Shift Your Vibe to Thrive. So what does it mean to shift your vibe to thrive? Tell us a little bit why the name, why the podcast, what called you to it? Well, it's a lot of what we just talked about with energy. So I really... I get when you shift your energy, you shift your vibration. Mm -hmm. And with that, it's just a law of the universe. You know, you attract and pull in what is moving like that, what's vibrating like that. And so I wanted to have a podcast that where I didn't feel limited by, I want to be able to talk to everybody, but really looking at, okay, we've all had shifts in our lives where something changed. And with that, whether we consciously acknowledge that or not, with that our energy shifted and that shifted something externally and I love talking to people about their stories and what have they done even when times may have been hard to still thrive and change and know that we can always get through things and it might be at different times but you can be in it and get through it and so to give people have conversations with people about their stories and then also for myself to be able to share my own and then any tools to do that like how do we shift our energy so that we can be more present and enjoy the experience and enjoy being here yeah i love that i love that okay so we're highly tech full transparency boom here we go okay let me just you're you're up sweetie okay um so tell us a little bit about, just a little bit more about the podcast. Who have you enjoyed interviewing? Like what sort of topics do you have on your podcast? And where to can we find it? it? Yeah. yeah. 
You can go to my website, emilyevansrussell.com forward slash podcast, because then you can choose like, oh, I want to listen on Apple or Spotify or just search Apple Uh and Spotify, shift your vibe to thrive. Um, Gosh, I've had such a variety of people in there. A couple of my personal favorites. Um, My mother I interviewed Uh and she has such a story of resiliency. And when I interviewed her, she was here for Thanksgiving. So I said, can I just pour you a glass of wine and talk to you about some of the things I know about your life, but I'd love to hear you really elaborate more. Mm -hmm. And everything from going through breast cancer to abuse to divorce, um, like she, she's still married to my father, but went through, got married out of college, totally different era. Mm -hmm. And that was really beautiful to have that conversation to really see how she just managed to shift and thrive through so many things that she always said, I never want to be labeled a victim or a survivor. So even though she's a survivor of breast cancer Mm -hmm. over 20 years, she doesn't think of herself that way. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really loved having that chance to use the podcast as a platform for talking with my mom, but also sharing it with people. And I've gotten some of the best feedback on that one. And then I had a beautiful conversation about healing trauma with a network chiropractor down in Atlanta mm-hmm. that my friends had told me about. And I've been going, I try to get down there once a month. It is so worth the drive. He's oh, wow. amazing. Chiropractor, um, really? Ne- ne- network chiropractic, ne- which is very energetic. It's not the typical adjustments okay. you're used to. Okay. And he's been doing it forever. And I will just say he has a real capacity, though. With I've had other network chiropractic sessions. He's, he's very gifted. Mm-hmm. But he had such a beautiful way of talking about how does he, you know, work with different people and their energy and really, like, transform their worlds in a way that works for them. And that is the other one that I think I've had the most feedback on, and I just loved having that conversation with him, too. Mm-hmm. But they've everybody I've talked with. So the topics vary a lot, but I really wanted it to be, like, this feel of sitting down, listening to a conversation with, with yeah, good friends and yeah. walking away with like a different perspective. I think yeah. that's the greatest gift a podcast can be is shifting the way someone sees the world and so, oh, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. And I love the format just like this, like mm-hmm. we're doing today, because you really get to, it's that long form where you get to know people. Yeah. It's not a 30 second reel on Instagram, which mm-hmm. I like those too, but it's a right. very different level of engagement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoy that longer conversation with people mm-hmm. and then sharing it. Yeah. And I think too, when we are able to interview somebody in person, I mean, we do Zoom interviews sometimes, but you yeah. feel the energy. The energy. And I mean, even like when we've interviewed type fours, one of the things that we've noticed is it shifts us into our feelings, right? Mm-hmm. And like we might cry during the episode because they're so good at feeling the sadness and pain of life versus you. Like I feel like this sense of aliveness, Uplifted. right? Uplifted. And even like that word resilience that you use, like I imagine like you are really good at helping people to tap into like we can overcome like that old spiritual song like that you know you can find your way back to life again and re-engage and there's that positivity of the seven that like pushes people forward I mean they say that sevens are very future oriented and I think there's a lot of personality types that live in the past and don't know how to move you know ahead and you help them to do that to say like let's shift our energy and let's look forward to the future and let's not live in fear and let's have courage 
people need that. You know, there's so many types of people that need that. Yeah, you were talking, I just got a visual, and it's, you know, still, I think, dreary outside, but rainbow after the storm. Like, you are, you are, you are reaching for the rainbow. I love that. Which, you know, for me, all I would see is the storm. And bloom and doom forever. Until we die. So I need sevens in my life to say, but there's a rainbow. Yeah. Yeah. You know. I watched a little bit of Winnie the Pooh last night. (laughs) Although it it was like nostalgic for me and she hated it. She's like, we're not watching this anymore. We're watching Bluey Mom. But just like, you're Tigger. Like, you're uplifting. I always say, I'm the Eeyore (laughs) in the (laughs) world. You are not Eeyore. I was going to say, I can tell that already. You're not Eeyore. You've been married to a seven for too long to be an Eeyore. You may have been an Eeyore long before I ever met you, but you never have since I've known you. you. But but we do. We need we need those people who can, you know, also invite us to feel the pain of life. So we do need Eeyores as well. But we need our tickers and we need that positivity and like let's get our bounce back Mm -hmm. and let's play Mm -hmm. and have fun. Mm -hmm. And so so yeah, so we were very inspired by you, Emily. So. Thank you. That is such thing. That was just beautiful insight because you're confirming basically, you know, about a year and a half ago, um, I was in a relationship for many years and that ended and it really, I was like, okay, that's shifting. And this year I've really switched my, my job. Uh-huh. I've always had my own business, but I've really switched it to being more like, I want to create something different really with more of the energy on my business and what I'm creating for myself and the girls in the future. So if you look at job and relationship are two of the biggest shifts you can have, you know, that really create this. And I have noticed I really tend to walk through my stuff first before I even can facilitate it greater and help others. So I think it's already been what I love to do. Mm -hmm. And then after that year and a half has gone by, And I'm on the other side. I'm like, wow, I have that gift even stronger now. And it's what I feel really led to do is because is when people have those big shifts or health changes. I've been through that with my daughter's, you know, diagnosis. And and really, it was interesting. You said I have a I do am very future oriented. Yeah. And one of the things I love the most is when someone and we've all been there where you feel like kind of like you're in a corner and you just can't see outside is just to kind of be the person that taps you and goes, but look, there's actually all this, like you're not stuck Mm -hmm. here. And can I like support you and hold your hand through that? Like you've got this and be that person that's there to do that. So thank you for, for that. Yeah. Of course. (laughs) Affirming that. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to be stuck in this place that you can shift your energy and vibe just Mm -hmm. like your podcast name. And, and that's because you can do that because of who you are, but also what you've walked through in your own life. I mean, we can only take people as far as we've gone ourselves, yeah. right? Yeah. When we've done our inner work, then yeah. we can help them on the journey. Yeah. Um, so who are the authors that inspire you? I w- I'm curious to know, like, who do you like to read or listen to, depending some of us are more of auditory learners. Um, who are those people that inspire you? I've had, I switch all the time. I've, you know, yeah. used to really be a book reader. Yeah. Um, back, uh, is it Tom Robbins was one of my favorite authors and Haruki Murakami when I used to really love nonfiction and kind of the out there like yeah. uh, stories. And recently I've been way more into um, nonfiction and mm-hmm. different, you know, exploratory books. And um, Regina 
Tamashower, who's also known as Mama Gina. Do you know her? I don't know her. No. She wrote a phenomenal book called Pussy. Oh. It's a bestseller. It's been out for years. But as a woman in my 40s, it yes. was one of the best. I was like, I can't believe I haven't had this book before now. Oh, um, but is really, it like a sexual revolution sort of no, book? No, it's, it's... it sounds like that. But it's, yeah. it's, uh, <laughs> and she also has... Um, uh, another book called The School for Womanly Arts. So I would say more it's really tapping into the gift of being a woman with out a lot like without the man hating. Yeah. yeah. But also yeah. really supporting each other um and holding each other's like hands and spaces into well what do you really desire? And like yeah. we can actually so I though that's been the book recently most I would say that really I just loved and devoured and when I find something I like always tell a bazillion people about it. Mm-hmm. Um so that's what comes to mind when you ask that. Yeah. yeah. And we were talking before the interview about how important it is to have a tribe of women, right? Yeah. And like a yaya sisterhood sort of thing. Yeah. So um, can you tell me like how women have been important in your life, having that kind of tribe to support you on the journey? Oh my goodness. Well, always, I would say, especially I'm lucky to have two daughters. Uh, yeah. Um, I know if I had boys it would be just as wonderful yeah. but as they're coming into their 11 and 14 so we're in the teen and preteen yeah. years yeah. and I feel especially suited to it I'm just like I love this and seeing all of the the phases they've gone through so having that um energy around me all the time and I'm very much I was never a person with really big friend groups mm-hmm. but I've always found it incredibly important and valuable to me to have a few really good Mm -hmm. friends and female friends that are with you and Mm -hmm. and and especially I would say as I've walked through in the last year with a couple of those really bigger changes you know and the thing I am most grateful for and was my female friends and being able to have even a five minute phone call sometimes yeah just to turn it around and really being able to lean on that and also be there for them too yeah um so I've I've found that very important to always make make space and really value that whether it's just a walk with a friend or you know a lot of my friends don't live in t- in the city, mm-hmm. um, so really making time to visit each other and yeah. getting on Zoom if if that's what it needs to be and having a coffee, even yeah. like you know, rather than if we can't meet up in person, let's still yeah. still have that. Yeah. I just went to see my college girlfriends in Virginia this weekend, and so you know, a lot of my close friends live all over, yeah. and it, it is so good to go and see them, and that's fun for the the number seven in me that's pretty high to go travel as well but yeah like we need one another and just like we've been talking about how like we can move things out of the body physically through like something like access bars we move things out of the body through talking through it with a good friend or going on that walk and so yeah we need those Mm -hmm. those moments in our life um what about you and, and girl friendships, Kat? Well, I'm having a girl um, cocktail hour right uh, today at 345. Oh we go before dinner, and, of course, a million things happen to get me to cancel. And I'm like, nope, we're doing this. We're good. doing this. So it's just so good. I always say it's good for my soul. Just, yeah. you know, and we might not have more than an hour. Everybody's got kids' lives after school whatever dinners but just to meet for an hour and just shoot the breeze yeah and just yeah. be ourselves it just it's great yeah. yeah i love it yeah yeah i love that okay i get to ask my favorite question 
it's a brag on Emily question. So I know we've touched a little bit about uh, your business and what you're doing. So what are you um, comfortable telling our um, audience about what is it you're up to and how to connect with you and all of your offerings? So brag on the Emily moment. <laughs> yeah. So you can find everything I'm up to on my website okay. or on Instagram, but emilyevansrussell.com. Yep. And recently, you know, I've spent the last 10 years helping grow the business of Access Consciousness, which is where mm -hmm. Access Bars comes from, and my own business. And even though I don't have a degree in marketing, I'm just recently, I was working with a company and they said, do you have an MBA in business? I said, no, I think it's better. I've actually just been learning as I go for 10 yeah. years. So I'm also have recently started mentoring and working with people on both like marketing and energetics of marketing oh. to so that when they have something they really want to offer the world like how do you talk to more people and yeah. grow your reach and so I'm really and having the energetics along with the practical so I have a new program coming out very soon I'm doing sessions right now with people but I have a program coming out next month for that and I just love the conversations we had because I have two new things and one coming out very soon in the next couple of weeks which is called fearless femme and it really is going to be like a five minute daily like audio pocket coaching so it's like delivered in a private podcast feed where i can be that person that you're like okay five minutes i have five minutes you know yeah. i can listen to something for five minutes and get the meat and not a lot of the fluff and have, yeah. have that turnaround or change of perspective um so that is coming soon <laughs> and then uh something which is still up in the ethers but it's this idea of offering that in a longer form where you know it's not just audios but a program to assist other women mm -hmm. going through big changes and shifts in their lives and yep. being able to be that person that's there of hey like let's look towards how can you create the future you would really like and I think also to me being I'm 47 so there is like this like midlife sort of mashup where things like rearrange and it goes from as an achiever I was always very much like I can check the box and I can get the degree and I can do very good at this job and external external validation yeah. and you know there's a shift and I especially think that gets heightened at least it has for me um at this phase of life knowing that that is really a more internal like how is my energy how does this make me feel yeah. like and that shift and being able to I just I hear it all over from Instagram messages to friends to clients there's so many people in this phase and it's not dependent on age but it is this okay I've come this far it's been great but I'm kind of wondering what's next and did I make some wrong choices and like no it's not yeah. that at all everything has led you to here but now like let's look yeah. And how do we move forward? So a program like that is coming very soon. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I love that it's female oriented. I always say love the man. And that's, you know, the feminism without the man hate to me is the true feminism. And I just love when things are female oriented because yeah. I think it's an underserviced population group. And, and it just, let's target, let's just do the girl power right yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah and i love too how much energy you have and all the ideas and even you said what's next i mean all of these are seven yeah. qualities of like sevens or energizer bunnies but also three and eights are also the energetic types so you not only are you an assertive type 
but you're also, all three of those are the most energetic on the Enneagram. So, wow. so yeah, so you've got all these ideas, all this energy, and even if you just look at her Instagram webpage, um, and then I, there's some button you push that'll that'll take you to all the different things you're doing. I'm just like, you are a seven <laughs> with that, with the eight and the three being high as well, because you just, I mean, amaze me. And I think that's the important thing about the Enneagram is it can be easy. Um, you're talking about women to start getting jealous of other women mm-hmm. and to think, Oh, like, you know, to start disparaging them because, Oh, they have all this energy and, and actually, when we start to look at what somebody's doing, it can point us to what we want to do instead of it being a thing where, oh my gosh, she's doing so much. It makes me feel bad about myself, so I'm going to think badly about her. There's a lot of that with women, yep, right? Yep. Like, we can be really hard on one another. But judging. What if, yeah, judging. judging. Yeah, but the Enneagram <laughs> is about, oh, of course Emily is like this. She's high in three, seven, and eight. Of course she has energy. And if I'm like looking and going, oh, I wish I could be doing all of that, that should point me to what actually my heart's desire is mm-hmm. and like that I want to be maybe doing more or maybe maybe that's not it. Maybe it's just to bless that that's who you are and that we affirm that and, and celebrate that. Yeah. Um, but I do think women can be hard on one another Mm -hmm. and the Enneagram is saying nope (laughs) let's celebrate who we are let's Mm -hmm. celebrate our differences um and know that you are who you are because of you know nurture nature all the different things and it's beautiful yeah that's so beautiful that's so beautiful yeah that's that I think is what I love about whether it's is the this methodology or astrology or human design or mm-hmm. and like yeah. we said that it can have so much awareness of oh and not making one right or better than another yeah. but just really getting some yeah. personal awareness from it and my my favorite question that I started asking daily like Ooh, a year and a half it. ago is what is true for me I have not yet discovered Ooh, yeah. and at first when I asked that I was like Shouldn't I have figured out a lot of that by now? And, and, <laughs> like I almost went to, but I really wanted to know, like, what else is out there yeah. for yeah. that is true for me that might not be true yeah. for anybody else? Yeah. And it was like I just the universe just kept leaving these breadcrumbs to the next thing to the next thing that I hadn't yet explored, yeah. and that just kept adding. And I realized, and that's what I love inviting people to is exactly that, like. This yeah. lifestyle and might not. It's not about having what someone else has and going. That must be right. I'm gonna try to get that. It's yeah. like what is true for you, yeah. Yeah. and the more that we really honor that and explore it and kind of are curious about it, that's where all of the good yumminess comes from in our lives. Yeah, yeah. it's moving us towards being authentic and yeah. accepting somebody else's authenticity. And if we could really do that, we wouldn't live in such a polarized world because it wouldn't be mm-hmm. about right and who's right or wrong it would be about just blessing yeah. you know even blessing people who vote differently whatever it is yep. or have different religious values like that we all have to be on our path of discovering who we are why we're here and for the seven what makes us come alive and we yeah. all need that yeah. <laughs> so beautiful thank you thank Emily. you thank i you just so for much. sharing not just your time but your energy yeah uh, just such a delight thank you thank you both so much thank you
You're so good. Good. All right, I'm gonna All find. Right. I'm so rolling. this is your speaker. Yeah, I yeah. know. So we're, as you can tell, we're very high tech. We used to have the microphone. Hey, I'm and telling the you. I'm telling you, those this is are the best. They're the. I'm telling you, for camera mm -hmm. and for. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Absolutely. Microphones yeah. had feedback, and so we were like, "Ooh, I don't like the sound of yeah. that feedback." And these really don't have yeah. any. So yeah. these are great. Sounds good. And what we'll do is, Christy will do the introduction separately for pre-recorded when she will talk about you and everything that you do and anything that you would want her to mention and share and of course we'll put it on the website as well so folks can mm -hmm. connect with you if you yeah and I, I appreciate you guys pulling me in here I trust everything happens in life for a reason so yeah. I'm always very yeah. willing to step in and I'm like yeah it was a while ago we talked about yeah, doing this. It yeah, seemed like but, it was a long, long time ago when yeah, we first. Yeah, probably six, six to eight months ago. Exactly. Yeah, and you said, "Do you want to do a podcast?" And I was like, "Sure." <laughs> and I didn't even. Maybe that's a four. I don't know, but I didn't even know what it was for. I was like, "Yeah, whatever." <laughs> yeah, it seems right up your alley. The you know, with all you've done with personality and yeah, and also yeah. yoga and body somatics. So um, yes, it aligns with your work for sure. Yeah. But I, yeah, I'll introduce you, and if you just want to get me a short bio and, like, three pictures, because we're going to turn it into three episodes. Okay. So there will be three episodes. I was going to say, there's a lot of questions here. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, so. All right, so I'll get you. We, you know, we find people generally like to consume I don't have about 25 your, minutes at a time. I have your email now. Okay. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. And I'll, I'll send it to you on Instagram again. Um, so no, no worries that you, since yeah, you have the first start. one. Yeah. Okay. And I know you identify as Enneagram 4. So could you please tell our listeners when you discovered Enneagram and by learning about your particular type, what did you learn about yourself maybe that you didn't know? Oh, well, I am fairly new to, to Enneagram mm -hmm. and I would say probably one, maybe over a year mm -hmm. but not too much beyond that so not over two years somewhere within that time frame and I don't know that I discovered anything I think for me it was more just affirmation Validation. of what I already know mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. so um, I've been working with a lot of different constructs and I think that and in the work that I do I'm on this journey to constantly search and so this was was not a, a new uh, tool, or I mean, a new Revelation, set of exactly yeah. not a new set of information, but more of a, just ah, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Kind of so kind of thoughts. A lot of things landed as spot on and hit home. And did you yeah. did you did you feel? You know, a lot of times we find that people identify with a type. They're like, no, that's not me. No, I don't like that. Did you have that reaction or did you feel like, yes, this is no, I, me and all of it? No, I didn't have that reaction at all. And I think when we do have that reaction, it's kind of like, wait a minute. <laughs> what am I not listening to yeah. or seeing in myself? So, no, I took it all in with fresh eyes and um, open mind. And, and, and I know we're going to talk more about constructs, but saw it as just another construct. To help to help shed light on on me, yeah. um, it overlays with. For me, what really jumps out is the creativity. Is mm -hmm. that I sometimes I think, oh my gosh, what am I doing? And I'm just creativity just oozes out of my cells. Mm -hmm. I've been a piano player playing Chopin, creating mm -hmm. music on the piano at one point. Mm -hmm. A dancer, always still mm -hmm. a dancer today, and 
um, an actress on stage and in film, and and then most recently a visual artist. So for me, it was like, yeah, okay, so this is why I'm just constantly wanting to create. Because yeah. um, sometimes you can feel like, wow, I, do I have to create again? And you're like, yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. So is that that, that stuck to me. Yeah, yeah, it's at the core of me. Well, mm-hmm. and I know you've asked before we um, we started taping. You said video or no video, and we always tape without video, but. Now that you're talking, I wish our listeners could see you because you're a beautiful woman, but you embody to me the image of a four. And for those, you know, of course, y'all who are listening, you can't you you can't see, but you have the most beautiful scarf with these gorgeous flowers and the jewelry that is just so beautiful but unique. I don't think I've ever seen jewelry like that. So a four just the expressiveness of your unique style that is just so beautiful but feels like one of a kind Uh, like four through and through ah well thank you Mm -hmm. thank you i think when you're saying that it's making me hone in on um you know i think that we oftentimes don't we have a hard times with being who we are or, mm-hmm. and stepping in. I think the world would be a much better place if we all did what we were here to do and just mm-hmm. showed up as who we are. But it's challenging to navigate through that as a human being. So I think what it does is it just says, yeah, you know, I always say, let your freak flag fly. <laughs> you know, I have a freak flag. So it's like, let it fly and let everyone's fly, even if it's even if it's more conservative or more whatever, but just everybody has a right to be here and everybody has a reason to be here. And if we can just step into that. And that four really, for me, embodies that. Said like a true four. Yeah. <laughs> being the most authentic number on the Enneagram circle, it truly is, embodies the biggest value of four is be yourself. Yes. Be true to yourself. Yes. And fours are very comfortable with doing that. And the rest of the human population oftentimes is not. So that's, you know, we're all can learn that from a four. Just... Let your freak flag fly. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and I think, too, when you say fours are comfortable, I am, Mm -hmm. but I know I've met other people that aren't necessarily that way, depending on where they are in their journey, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. So it's it it gives, when you read something like Enneagram, when I was talking about earlier about being an affirmation, it gives one permission to, oh, that's why I'm a little different. Mm -hmm. You know, that's Mm -hmm. why I seem to, my friends in college called me the foreign student. They said, you're always, you're just a little bit different. You're like somebody mm-hmm. from another country, which I'm an Irish citizen. I'm a dual citizen. So mm-hmm. there's a bit of that in my blood anyway. But, you know, it's like it gives, for me, I'm comfortable with it. But for somebody out here who's listening who's a four, it's like really, you know, f- step into who you are, which mm-hmm. is different from everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so my oldest, I think, is I'm pretty certain is a four, and I would want for her to listen to this episode yeah. because she's 17, and ah. 17 is a tough age anyway. Yes, and yes. And just <laughs> to embrace that uniqueness and stand proud and tall. Absolutely. With firm feet in it. Yes, it's, especially you know, as a young woman. I so hope that. Oh my her. gosh, yeah. No, it's 17. I was. But it's tough. I was trying to shape shift a lot, you know, to fit in. Mm-hmm. And. Mm-hmm. And it was so uncomfortable, so uncomfortable for me and, and you know, mm, no, yeah, no. Yeah. So I do encourage her. The earlier you can discover it, of course, everybody has their own journey, but of the course. sooner you can discover it, yeah. the better off you'll be, and especially a young woman. Yes. Thank you for that. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. You go, girl. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, and that is it, right? The fours do give other people permission to be who they are. Mm-hmm. And I, so I love that about you, yes. and I love that about fours, and I celebrate that. Even in your daughter, even though she is at that teenage age, I still mm-hmm. see a young woman who is embracing who she is. And, and, and so, yeah, I still see that she's more authentic than the average teenager. Yeah. 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 So, but, um, let's dive into embodiment just for a moment. Cause I know that you are a dancer. You've taught yoga. You, um, also have taught movement therapy, Pilates. So this is like part of who you are living in the body, moving in the body, teaching people to be more comfortable in their bodies and how can that promote healing how can that move t- somebody towards being maybe that truest version of themselves that we were just talking about? Um, tell me a bit about embodiment and why that's important to you. Oh, embodiment is very important to me. Um, I think we're more disembodied than ever right now mm-hmm. on this planet. Um, we're looking outside of ourselves for answers when the answer really was, is within the body. I think it would be helpful for me to, to describe a little bit of my background that after college, I was um, working at a hospital affiliated with Harvard Mass General, which was a psychiatric facility. I was going in, wanted to pursue a, a higher degree in psychology, and so I was thinking, well, this is a lovely field, counseling, I'm helping people, and being of service. That was aligning with a part of my sole purpose. Mm-hmm. But I began to feel like, um, I, I think when we go and we talk about things, I think it's helpful in a lot of ways, in, first and foremost, because we're hearing ourselves talk. Mm-hmm. And we most often, if not always, have the answer within us. Mm-hmm. The, the person who's there with us can help facilitate us in our thoughts and our talking. But we can also just spin a story and mm-hmm. create these thoughts that don't really exist and go on and on. And it becomes this cycle that doesn't seem to go anywhere. But the body doesn't lie and holds the story. Mm-hmm. So through, you know, as a young person that became a little bit disillusioned and then through the course of many, many years from then, I was always a mover, always a dancer, began to realize, oh, my body is really holding the story. And mm-hmm. there's so much around that, um, what, what the body is saying to me at any given moment in time. If we listen, mm-hmm. it can guide us. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that's, uh, that's where I find uh, embodiment, is, is that connection to, to everyday life to mm-hmm. listening to it, to being present to it, to hearing it. Mm-hmm. Not just going and exercising and ticking that off your list, but truly waking up in the morning, breathing, feeling your breath, feeling your body, going through your day, noting your body. We have all these apps now on your phone, mm-hmm. and it's time to stand up. Well, mm-hmm. we can do that with the help, but it's like we probably want to know when to stand up and not yeah. to sit too long. It, it's, it's, it's in our body. We're here to move. The body is moving mm-hmm. within mm-hmm. itself all the time. we got blood flowing, we've got mm-hmm. interstitial fluid flowing, we've, I've done a number of cadaver studies, whole body, integral uh, mm-hmm. anatomy cadaver studies, and seen all of the connections within, and then we, if we just listen to it, then we'll know when to move and how to move beyond the movement of the body moving itself. I love that, and I do think like it's one that we are listening to the body and tuning into it and becoming more aware of it and noticing it and connecting to it um, so that we're not disassociated from it and then it's also that we have such power to move out of the body what we're holding because we yes. do hold so much yes, trauma yes, yes. and 
grief <coughs> and pain. And so um, through embodied movement, I think that we can release, which is what I heard you saying, like, yeah, talk therapy can kind of only go so far. Right. We also have to find other ways. And it's amazing just thinking about you, all these embodied practices that you have to move things out of the body, but also that your art, which I've seen on your website, that's another venue to move things out of the body that we're holding. Like we can be creative and, and move out feelings out of the body with our creativity and even playing the piano. So now you said you play the piano. Yeah. Music can be a powerful way to move things that we're holding in the body out of the body. And so there's just so many ways. Um, you know, I do think people need to externalize their feelings through talking it out, but that's just one way right. of getting things out that we're storing in the body. I think, yeah, I think I love what you're saying, the the moving things through, absolutely. Yeah. It, it begins with just owning the body, mm-hmm. owning one's body mm-hmm. in its beauty, in, in all that it is. There are, I often tell my clients, if you took off everybody's clothes in, in the room, there would be no two bodies alike. You know, mm-hmm. we've created things through our society, you know, through young women, that you're supposed to look a certain way, your body's supposed to be a certain way. And we navigate through, through that lens, which disembodies us further. Mm-hmm. So before we can begin to move through, we have to embrace the body we have so that we can trust it. Yeah. And we can hear it, and we can own it, and we can yeah. see it as as a beautiful sacred vessel that's housing our soul and our spirit. And the, a lot of the work I do is through the lens of fascia, and we talk about fascia as the most highly innervated sensory organ. Um, I've been I've done work with international people. I taught in Brazil and Spain on that subject, and it it holds the story, you know, mm-hmm. for this lifetime and whatever you believe, perhaps for other lifetimes. Martha Graham, the dancer, called it blood memory, that, that even things that come through our family lineage are in our bodies, you mm-hmm. know, held. And mm-hmm. so we're moving stories through us that, that we have uh, embraced and manifested in this, in, in this journey, but also we might be carrying things that are coming from our, our ancestors. You know, when, when clients come into me and they'll say, well, I know I'm going to have high blood pressure because my grandmother had high blood pressure. My grandfather had that, and they'll go on and on about that. And I'll say, well, wait a minute. You know, how did they handle stress? <laughs> you know, what, what, why was their mm-hmm. blood pressure high to begin with? What's going on in there, in mm-hmm. your family pattern mm-hmm. that you might be able to move through or break the chain in, in your life mm-hmm. that you don't carry forward? So, yes, moving things through the body is, is, is I believe, where it's at. And we're hearing more and more about it. Um, but I also think before, we have to go, we have to back up to, to embodiment has to begin with truly embracing one's own body. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Seeing and seeing the body as good and seeing it as beautiful. Exactly. And, and allowing for those differences. I remember I had a class in graduate school that was on human sexuality and they showed us like all these pictures of the vagina and how they are all different. Oh my gosh, really yes. important, you know, because <laughs> it's like, I think we, we want to look a specific way, you know, a specific size for our breast, our, you know, private area looks just this way. And it doesn't have to be so. We're all created so differently. So differently. Yeah. I always tell, I know, but we don't know that because we don't see other people. We just yeah. hear these things of how we're supposed to look. 
And um, yeah, a funny story, you may or may not include this, but I, one of my friends does, uh, actually does waxings. Mm-hmm. And she said, yeah, she says, you wouldn't believe how different women are. She said, it's like tacos. Some people put a lot of stuff on their tacos and some people don't put much yeah, stuff on their tacos. Everybody's got different. It was kind of a clever, a fun image to, to think about vaginas being like tacos. That some people have a lot of stuff in them and some stuffing in them and some people don't. But I think, too, you're bringing yeah. me to the subject of or, or to the thoughts of uh, breasts, mm-hmm. which is, you know, also, um, you know, I think you know, very something that particularly defines women. But um, the one of the part of the research I did was on um, breast implants, was mm-hmm. breast implant surgery. So I observed breast implant surgery. I did a lot of research on it. That's what I spoke about in Brazil. And this this does not speak to to anyone who's had breast cancer. I've worked with breast cancer patients, so I leave them almost in a league of their own. Mm-hmm. But when we're looking at it. And I honor and hold space for them. Mm-hmm. I, I really do, because that's, that's a journey. But I, what I'm speaking to is when people do it f- purely for cosmetic reasons. Mm-hmm. And I have a meditation that I let people go through. You know, it's not for me to decide what people choose to do or not do. Mm-hmm. But because I am so much about embodiment and about body wisdom, it is, it is in my uh, my it is in their best nature if they're paying me for me to share this information with them so I have them actually go through a meditation where they can ask questions about why they're choosing to do that and and what it means mm-hmm. to them and do they understand the long-term implications so when you watch a surgery of a breast implant um, they actually go in and destroy I would say I would use that word part of the fascial in the fascial mm-hmm. system within that whole front line mm-hmm. of the body mm-hmm. and then they put something a foreign object in there and the body, you know, doesn't like things that don't belong to it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then there can be all kinds of implications from, from that. So it's, and then why are they doing it? You know, breasts can be, my breasts are small and I love yeah. them. Yeah, same. <laughs> you know? I, I, sister. <laughs> We're all in agreement. We're all in agreement, <laughs> yeah. And then some breasts are big and they're beautiful. And some breasts are like just saggy. And, so and nobody's breasts are the same size. They're all, the right one might be a little bigger than the left one or whatever. So it's like, what, you know, what is it that they're seeking? What inside the body mm-hmm. might want to move through rather than putting something in it that, that can cause harm down the road? I mean, there's, yeah. you know, there's... The woman that I spoke to when I went and got my last um, just year, you know, routine mammogram was telling me that she, this is totally not research oriented or based, you know, based. But she was saying she's seeing a correlation between some of these autoimmune diseases and mm. and breast implants, mm-hmm. which to me makes sense because it's something that you know that doesn't belong in the body. But um, you know, that's one idea. That's where, where you're talking yeah. about is just owning that body, owning the beauty. As a man and or a woman or what who whatever you identify with, you know, just owning your beautiful body with whatever it is, um, is the first step to yeah. embodiment. I think. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And could you walk us and our listeners through a very short embodied practice that maybe we all can do in a minute or two? Yes. To get us more in touch with our body. Yes. Is that possible? And and Christy and I will be your students, like a tiny little mini one. <laughs> well, you guys don't have a scarf, um, uh-huh. but one of the first things I do is I, I take, but you could probably use your hands maybe and, mm-hmm. and put them around your uh, rib cage is, mm-hmm. what I'm, is what I'm doing. But I have people take a scarf or take something that's within my studio and tie it around their 
their waist just um, just below the breasts as we were just talking mm -hmm. about and go ahead and, and pull it so that you switch switch one side of the scarf to the other hand and you pull it so that you have a little bit of um, feeling of constriction on the rib cage and you guys are doing it with your hands since you don't have a scarf so you can feel your ribs right mm -hmm. the dis the one disadvantage you don't have is you can't feel the back but you can push up against the back of your chair and that'll bring you into that part of when we dissect the back of the body the lungs are right there and people don't breathe much into their back and there's so much breath and movement that can happen there and of course during covid we were talking a lot about back breath but I have, I, I, I just start with this, just to feel the movement of your breath. So you take a nice inhale and you let whatever wants to come through in the movement come through into that tactile cue and then you exhale and you pull the scarf in or just let your hands fold in as you're doing. And you can feel it into the back and you can just let it come back. And if you don't feel, you guys can just keep going, but if you don't feel that movement, a lot of times what I see is people are breathing with their shoulders coming up and down, which is a fear-based breath, because oh, wow. this is fear. And they're not breathing into their backs and their sides, so they don't even feel the movement of the breath. If I could only teach two things, I always say I would teach just breath. I teach a lot of breath. I've been teaching breath for a long time. And then I would teach about the feet. So I begin with the breath, and then the second thing I would do is is have you. And again, I work barefoot. We have shoes on right now, but oh, is, I'm sliding mine off. You slide them off, girl. Mm -hmm. But you can you can also just feel your feet through mm -hmm. through your shoes. That I you know I'm really about bare feet, and you feel the earth of the ground. Even if you're on a floor, there's earth underneath there. So you imagine that you're feeling the earth, and then you stand, and you feel your breastbone up to a star. So you've got that connection below connected to earth and you've got the connection above which is like your breastbone is just hanging from a star and then you continue with that beautiful breath that you just did into the sides into the back and see if you can feel that and you can close your eyes or keep them open but just feel that beautiful connection of you to yourself connected to the earth connected to the star moving with the vitality of the breath you can feel the movement of the breath. I could tell you so much about the breath alone. Your heart is dancing, your liver is getting a lovely massage, your organs inside are going when it's moving the diaphragm, doing its little dance. And you just try to relax your hips and feel connected, yeah. I love the visual of the breastbone hanging off the star. Yeah. That is, I've never heard it, it's lovely. Yeah. It is, again, that's a four for you. That's yeah, a four who taught that's so your creative, breath. yes. <laughs> and, and I haven't heard that, and that touched me as well. So I love that imagery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. beautiful. Because a lot of times when we do earthing or grounding, we're, yes. we're weighted. Yes. But I want to remind us that we're also lifted. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the, it's the above as below kind mm -hmm. of concept. I love that. Yeah. I love so, that. Nice. So we had a previous conversation about constructs, and you told me that constructs are what we create as humans in order to make sense of who we are and where we are on this planet and in the universe. So in your life, you've explored lots of constructs, religion, astrology, the Enneagram, the Myers-Briggs. Tell me about how our constructs can be positive and how they might be utilized in destructive ways. Yeah, very good subject, one of my favorites. So 
I think oftentimes people forget that what we're, we're using as ways of helping us to understand ourselves are constructs, mm-hmm. are things that we have created. We get lost mm-hmm. in thinking that it's the, it's the, it's, it is it. Absolute It's, it's the absolute. It's the dogma. It is mm-hmm. the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, anything from religion to, as we talked about, Enneagrams to astrology to Myers-Briggs. Um, I did um, a little bit of work of that in my past, with that in my past. So I think it's important that we remember these are constructs we created. You know, we mm-hmm. didn't create the people, Jesus or Buddha or, or anyone that we, that we bring into our religion, whoever that is. But we did create the construct about how we choose to, to manifest um, mm-hmm. uh, a way of life around that. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we got to remember, like talking about the Enneagram, when you said, you know, earlier on, what, what do I relate to? You know, we've got to remember, again, that's something that's created, and we, we still have free will, we still have this moment in time that we're going to navigate through. So I think what happens is we, I like to say we always have the unlimited and the unknown. Mm-hmm. That's just part of human nature, part of living on this planet. Mm-hmm. There's always the unlimited and the unknown. And if anyone says they know the answer to the unlimited and the unknown, then I don't, I don't know what they're thinking yeah. <laughs> you know it's like there's those two things exist and will always exist mm-hmm. and what we do is we try to bring these constructs in to help us navigate I mean you think about unlimited if you just imagine for a moment there's unlimited and there's unknown that can be quite frightening and mm-hmm. particularly when we talk about different enneagrams you know for me it's not mm-hmm. you know I'm like yeah of course there's unlimited but for certain people that might create a little bit of angst in the body mm-hmm. In, in their in their soul so it's it's not easy to be with that and yet it's true and so we have to hold hold it in in the realm that it is there the unlimited and the unknown so what happens is with constructs they help us to navigate through that scary and I use the word scary it's not for me but it can be for some people is, is navigating through that vast mm-hmm. uh, realm and that's where it's positive because it can help us figure out or get affirmations. It can help us guide us. It can help us understand, oh, this is who I am. This is who you are. It can help with communication um, in the Myers-Briggs. I used to use it for communication in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. You know, every, we take the Myers-Briggs and primarily focused on you can make, communicate like this, you may communicate like that. And how can we work together through those differences to come up with what we're here to do in our workplace, you know, mm-hmm. which is whatever we're doing. So it's very powerful in that way. But it's very negative when we, when it does become dogma and we think like if, I, I hear people sometimes say, well, I'm an Enneagram so-and-so and I know that means I'm not, you know, then it's negative, you know, and it's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a tool. Remember mm-hmm. that. It's not, it's not the end-all, be-all. There's still the unknown and the unlimited you, that you're navigating through at the same time that you're yeah. having this tool. Yeah. So, I, I, also, I think that it can become, uh, as I'm sort of bouncing off on of the last thing, is it, it can become very negative, mm-hmm. where then we start to judge people. Oh, ugh, you're an Enneagram 4, you must be weird, you know. Or... <laughs> or, or my son, when he was at NYU uh, in college, he said, Mom, I, astrology can get a bad rap. He said, I, I heard girls saying, I don't date a Gemini. 
I'm not going to date a Gemini or I'm not going to date a Cancer. Or I'm not going to, and I'm like, whoa, 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 mm-hmm. whoa, whoa, you know. So it can become constructs for hate mm-hmm. is what I believe. Constructs for judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, constructs for negativity and constructs for limitation mm-hmm. because we become limited by our own uh, self-thought that we're boxed in to, mm-hmm. to whatever this is that we've been assigned. Yeah, and I would say the Enneagram is saying we want to become all nine numbers and the high side of all nine numbers anyways, and that you could date a healthy version of any number because a healthy version of any number would be integrating the beauty and wisdom of the whole system. Exactly. But also just to kind of follow up on what you're saying, I think, yeah, we need to hear that not just for constructs like the Enneagram and the Myers-Briggs, but even politics can be a construct. Absolutely. And it's a way I wasn't going to go there. <laughs> I'll just go there without... Go without. there, <laughs> But I'll just, I'll go there gently. And what I'll say is like that this is the reason for the polarization because we wear these constructs like a badge and we say, this is who I am and this is my identity and um, mine is good and yours is bad without seeing that they're all fallible, you know, and that they all have good and, and strengths in them. And it's just exactly. about being really careful about not becoming dogmatic. And that's whenever we come, become dogmatic about politics, religion, the Enneagram, that's when it starts to turn into a system of hate. Yes. That where yes. we're demonizing one another. Yes. And that's dangerous, and that's some of what I hear you say. Absolutely. And I think I, I totally agree with what you're saying. And I think that it also it, it becomes like I'm right and you're wrong kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I believe in part because I think people are very afraid. I think yeah. when I talk about the unknown and the unlimited, I think with, with 2020 came just, whoa, what's going on in this world? What's going on on this planet? Mm-hmm. What's going on when we turn on the news? Everything is in flux right now. There's huge chaos Mm-hmm. I like to think it's organized chaos because I think it's all by, by design. But when, we are, when we're in that set of uh, chaos, we really want to hold on tight to something that we can mm-hmm. define as ourselves. And then that makes us see the other person very differently. Um, no, you're that and I'm this. Mm-hmm. When if we, again, this is probably, this is the four, is that, wait a minute, we're all here for a reason. Even those in the poly, I always tell people, they come in really with physical problems around politics. I mean, they're, they're having like heart palpitations. Mm-hmm. And I'm having to, to help them breathe through it and to recognize, you know, even this person or these persons that are causing you great angst in politics are here for a reason. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the bottom line. Everybody mm-hmm. has a right to be here. Mm-hmm. And we're all here doing something, even mm-hmm. if it's stirring us, if it's changing us. Um, you know, it's the yin and the yang. It's the light and the dark. It's the it's mm-hmm. we have to just navigate through it all to get to the other side, and we can use these constructs to help us to understand ourselves or to work with other people. But we cannot use them to mm-hmm. to 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 totally um, alienate one another. Mm-hmm. Um, but but again, we're we're very the human is very limited. Mm-hmm. We're, we're we're fraught with limitations, mm-hmm. and we're working. Um, you know. We're working with that always, mm-hmm. that limitation. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna we're gonna do those things of, of uh, I'm right, you're wrong, you're mm-hmm. I'm good, you're bad. I'm not gonna date you, 
And we can't forget it's only one tiny part of it. Yeah. There's only, just like you said, there's nine numbers. There's so much in astrology. There's so much to religion. Mm-hmm. There's so much to politics. It's unlimited, it's, and there's unknown, and mm-hmm. there's, there's vastness to it, mm-hmm. which jazzes me. I'm sure mm-hmm. there's other numbers that would frighten us. Mm-hmm. But we still have to figure out how to navigate through it with, with, with who we are. Yeah. 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 I could talk about this forever. Constructs. Keep talking about it. No, I mean constructs are just my thing. I think Mm -hmm. I think we're lost in in constructs sometimes. What are some constructs that are really most meaningful to you? I know everybody probably has some that they deeply resonate to. What are those in your life? There, I would say there have been uh, there have been many throughout my life. there was a time when religion um, served me well. There was a time, and I mean, when I say that, I mean organized religion. I'm still a very, very spiritual person. There was a time, um, I mean, the, the, I, I would say probably now the construct of astrology resonates most with me. Um, I've been studying it for many, many years. I first studied it in college when, uh, when we were studying psychology, mm-hmm. when I was studying psychology, and Carl Jung, was an astrologer mm-hmm. as well. And so mm-hmm. he was finding that his clients, situa- what was going on in his clients' lives was matching their charts. He was studying it and he, he would write to Freud and say, there's something to this astrology, this language of astrology, you know. So I studied it many, many years ago and it intrigued me and I began to bring it in. But again, I saw it as, you know, like right now it's real pop and people have the app. They go, oh yeah, I have the app. Mm-hmm. And they're looking at their sun sign, which is just this, mar- <laughs> this mm-hmm. much of the ast- astrological reading and I know you said you studied it in mm-hmm. early in, mm-hmm. in your country which I think is fascinating I wish we did which is so tiny piece I, you know we had an interview with an astrologist mm-hmm. I think last year and then um, which was just so Andrea <laughs> Rensler yeah yeah it was just so vast that like the whole topic was just so vast overwhelming to me it was Uh. just so much and then I um, had sort of one-on-one communication with him where we took time and he worked with me as a client and even after that I would say 80% of it was over my head it is just so much which fascinates me right it is so much to your point it's not an app no. What you're looking at in your app <laughs> is dipping a tiny piece of your fingernail in. Exactly. And forgetting the rest of it. Exactly. So can you speak a little more? I'm fascinated by it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I do. Well, you know, it's 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 interesting you say that because I study ongoing. I still have an international uh, astrology group. I have an international fashion group. I have an international astrology group. All these little groups. I just I'm a voracious learner and reader. Yeah. But the the astrology you can get lost in it, yes. absolutely. And I think that's why it overwhelms people. You can also bring it down to such a simplistic form that I think it could be one of those dangerous constructs, yeah. you know, where you're saying, a, a Gemini's bad, I'm not going to date a Gemini. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Or you're reading those little snippets or you're getting that little app, you know, mm-hmm. and it's saying, you're going to have a bad day today. Yeah. Or you might end up like, well, <laughs> you know what? You probably will <laughs> because you're, yeah. you're going to manifest what you just read. Right. Um, but I think... For me, it's, it's, I just love it. It's almost like, um, what was that show with the 3D chess? You remember that show that was on uh, Netflix during 2020? Uh, Gambit. Gambit. Queen's Gambit. Yes. Yes. That's how I see a chart. 
Okay. Yeah, so it's like, because it's this flat piece of paper, but it's really about the sky. I mean, it's like, it, they say even one day you might be able to walk into a virtual room and, and you'll say, so, because it's Earth, it's, uh, again, I'm speaking to Western astrology specifically, yeah. there's all different kinds, but it, it's like it's Earth-centric, you know, yeah. so if I, if I was born on this Earth and I'm looking around at all yeah. the planets and where they were the moment I was born and, and feeling their energies, yeah. you know, and we have a lot of the, the things that are in our body the, the constituent of our body are in the planets. And so it's, it's, a, it's quite simply just the effects of, of uh, the planets on human behavior um, and the movement of them. And I bring it into a very, when you talk about that, I bring it into a very practical, down-to-earth, grounded way. It's, I think that's the key. Mm-hmm, is to bring it into through the lens that someone can understand it. Yeah. And, and, and so mine, I, and again, not everyone who comes to me we, we bring in the astrology. It can be a separate service. Some people come in through that door, or it can be a service that I bring in through through the life coaching. That is, it's called moving the body through astrology. Mm-hmm. So it's a very earth. I'm looking at the things that, looking at their chart, giving them a basic reading, and talking about what movement would serve them well to help facilitate um, their movement through life is, is what would, how can they take better care of themselves? Yeah. So it's... Uh, yeah, it can be huge, but it also can be small and destructive. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think there's a dance between there. It's become very popular, these apps. I don't know. I mean, I, AI, I actually did my senior research on artificial intelligence. I created an algorithm for decision-making. So I was tapping into that long ago. So I think it does have a place. But I think when we're using it for algorithms, we have to be very careful. Yeah. And I don't, I don't ever use it negatively. I don't use words like it's malefic or it's bad. I just say, this is who you are. This is your soul journey. This is why you've come here. You've got, you know, it's, we're all about, we've got to integrate our shadow with our light. And we've got to see the sides of us that aren't so, um, what we would call easy. Or, yeah. um, and we, we just navigate through it. But there's nothing bad about it. It's mm-hmm. just, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And so how do you, what do you do with it? Mm-hmm. And how do you, you know, work through it and use it as yeah. a tool? It's yeah. just a tool. Yeah. That's all it is. Oh, well, I love it. I could listen to you for days. It, the, the astrology, yeah. it's a, it, I would it's say that's probably sort of bringing it back circle to your question yeah. is I would say that's probably what I follow now. And I'm also finding, too, that the, the group of people that I'm with embody a very sense of peace and calm to them. And it's, um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful group that I'm with. Non-judgmental, very just a lovely group of people and you could take that and overlay it on a on a church if you wanted that type you could overlay that onto your workplace you know it's just this sense of peace and fluidity with humans and that's really who I want to be around now you know that's really who I want my tribe to be or people that are uh, more peaceful and calm and accepting and and true to themselves Mm -hmm. yeah and so that's probably in part why I've embraced astrology just because of the group that I'm with yeah. I love that. Thank yeah. you. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've got a frog in my throat. But um, <laughs> just thinking about fours, they are so deep and philosophical, existential thinkers, which seems to be who you are. And one of the things about fours is that they're really good at living the questions. Um, which is something Rilke said, uh, Raina Maria Rilke, the poet, is that, you know, we can live the questions and one day we'll find our way into the answer. But, um, but you know, fours 
are okay with ambiguity, with not knowing, with you've used the word unknown several times in the interview, and it seems you have a real comfort with that. So tell me a little bit about um, if you think that's true for you as a four, what I've just said about you, but also why that's important to live the questions and to not be searching for the answers maybe immediately. Yeah, I like that. Live the questions. Mm -hmm. I like that. And who's mm -hmm. who, who, who? Raina uh, Maria Rilke. Rilke, uh, okay. Yeah. That's a great quote. Mm -hmm. Live the questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it really threads through a lot of what we've been talking about, how mm -hmm. we bring constructs in to find the answers. Mm -hmm. um, and I keep saying yes, the unknown, but there's always that. So we are living the questions always. Mm -hmm. I, when you said that originally and you said I'm comfortable with it, I immediately flash back to like age 17 when you were talking about your daughter earlier, mm -hmm. Kat, and I thought, I don't know that I've always been comfortable with living the questions. Mm -hmm. I think, um, but I've always known in my soul that we just don't know, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, but it's, I don't know that it would say it was a comfortable place to yeah. hang, to hang yeah. out, particularly as a young person. Mm -hmm. I think with my, my life, I've been, I've lived, I've lived a very large life. I've lived many places. I lived in London as a child. I've lived many places. I've had many experiences. I've had absolutely everything stolen from me. <laughs> I've been through a really not so good marriage and a not so good divorce. My son passed away. I mean, I've had so much life experience that I can draw from, that I can still say, I'm living the questions, mm -hmm. you know. But I've also gleaned through that life experience a lot of wisdom, which I wouldn't call answers, mm -hmm. but I would call wisdom mm -hmm. that I can, can bring forth in my own life and I can also facilitate for other people to bring forth in their lives mm -hmm. an understanding. Mm -hmm not the answer, but an understanding of navigating through the questions. Mm -hmm. so. I love that. Mm -hmm. Well said. Mm -hmm. So like many evening graph fours, artistic expression, I feel like is a just a huge part of you, who you are. And you mentioned a dancer, a painter, a piano player, composer, so all those facets. But I'm curious about art your um art your visual visual, visual art, art. Okay. could you speak a little bit about that and what it is and what do you get out of it and how you share it and what meaning it has in your life yes thank you because the visual art is the newer the newer art form for mm -hmm. me so i mentioned my son passed away yeah so and, sorry to hear that yeah well again it's part of my journey mm -hmm. <laughs> thank you though but it is um it's 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 part of my journey that I'm navigating through, and I believe it's part of my soul. Uh, yeah, my soul work. Soul contract, soul work. Yeah. So I've come. I've again. I that's. I, I bring up death. I talk about death very easily. Um, and sure enough, it was part of my life. But anyway, when I guess I think it was what was going to be his twentieth birthday, and I was walking on the beach, and I normally I love shells. Mm -hmm. Shells, you know, are can be hundreds of years old, mm -hmm. longer than that. I mean, they can, they just really, they're to me, they're fascinating. They tell a story. Mm -hmm. I think they become cliche, you know, it's like at the beach, Florida, Florida mm -hmm. shell. But really, the shell, when you look at it, is magnificent. And if you look at the beauty of a shell and the movement of a shell, um, it's quite, 
quite a beautiful piece of what I call earth art, mm -hmm. just lovely. But I'm normally looking for, for whole shells for some reason, you know, a little more perfect shells, <laughs> whatever that means. But I was walking along and I found what looked like a wing. So I'm, I'm a dual citizen, Ireland, and so, you know, fairies and such is, mm -hmm. are part of our culture, but I also can think of it as being an angel wing, if you want, um, an angel wing. And I, all of a sudden I started walking, there was another one, there was another one, there was another one. This was on his birthday. It was almost, it was an incredibly surreal experience for me, that whole trip, because the sunsets were remarkable. I have pictures of them with these gorgeous, gorgeous sunsets. There was even a cloud formation, and I'm not kidding, that was in the shape of a heart. So there was something going on that was quite profound for me on his birthday when mm -hmm. I found that shell. Mm -hmm. So I collected these shells, and I just then, it, I just woke up one day. I had this collection of all these wings, as I called them, and I thought, what am I going to do with them? And I, was, I just woke up one day, and I, in fact, it was Easter. And I, it was an Easter, and I said, I'm, I'm going to create some art. So I was creating, whether you want to call them fairies or angels, these, these pieces of, uh, and they're women. <laughs> I would think of them as being um, like women. They have dresses on them. Again, they could be whatever. But the, then I put on the back of messages of inspiration. So I, would just, I was having like downloads of just these inspirational messages so that the angels or the fairies would come through and then on the back the message would just come through and they were pouring out of me. But I decided I was going to bring them into my work and use them just as another tool for healing. Um, you know, if, like if my client has something going on and then I might pull one of these out and say, no, this might speak to you. And so they would take a picture of the message or take like, oh, yeah. So one day one of my clients walked in and said, you know, I'd actually like to buy one of those. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> well, let me go home and talk to my, my, my business person who helps me and price them and mm -hmm. I came back and I said, well, this is the price. And she said, okay, well, I'd actually like five of them. Wow. <laughs> and I said, okay. <laughs> so I wrapped them up really pretty. I put them in beautiful purple stuff, you know, purple bags. Of and course she of did. Of course she did. <laughs> That's I made them like. just, you know, <laughs> I made them so pretty and she, she pays me. I walk out the door and I start crying. And I realized that that was, you know, that was not my intention of my art. My art was to heal. I think art is such a healing form for people when we're doing it ourselves, yeah. you know. But somehow my art was supposed to come out. And I'm still, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not, you know, I don't try to jump out with my art. But since then, um, it's going in a different direction. You know, I've had actually people commission me to do pieces. They bring me shells or they'll tell they say I want to... I want to get well gift for someone and these are shells from their beach or you know can you bring the energy in through that and so it's it truly I think began as a healing mm -hmm. thing for me yeah. but then and then I was going to bring it out in my service because I'm really here to be of service you know mm -hmm. so it was to bring to, to my clients uh, a healing and an inspiration to them but I didn't realize they were going to want to take it with them and I, most recently, I've been using a lot of mirrors in my art because I like people to catch their reflections. And mm -hmm. I started a few months ago using these hexagon mirrors that are sort of a rosy gold color. Mm -hmm. And unbeknownst to me, I went to see, have you guys seen the movie Big Sky? No, do we need to oh, see it? Oh, you need to see it. Okay. You need to see it. It's, it's, it's playing at the, the IMAX. There's also a, on Netflix, there's a... a a documentary on the telescope. What it is is there's a telescope that has surpassed Hubble. 
if you're familiar with the Hubble mm -hmm. telescope. And it's called the JWS, JWS, yeah, JWS telescope. And it had, I think, 349 points of failure that it had to go through. It essentially unfolded itself up in space to take pictures um, mm -hmm. of space going billions of light years beyond. You, you, ha you, you have to see it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> this is a four bringing in, again, other people are going, well, really? But it's, it's, it's phenomenal. And, and what's, it's, it's phenomenal on many, many levels because it brought together people from all over the world mm -hmm. coming together in peace, doing something for humanity, mm -hmm. you know. You know, part of it they're looking. They're looking for other galaxies. Part of mm. it is they're looking for other life. But it's it's just phenomenal the pictures they've captured, and you'll you'll start hearing more about it. I've been noticing it on just mainstream news that they're showing pictures. Mm -hmm. This is from the JWS telescope. Mm. But the funny part is bringing it back to the art is when you when you see it, the mirrors which are huge that they unfold are these little hexagon rose colors. Wow. <laughs> that I've been using in my art, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> uh -huh. So I'm like, you know, I'm like thinking, okay, what am I tuned into that I don't even know? Yeah. So I think that's another, you know, we get these, you know, if we could just trust, this is going back to the embodiment, this is going back to trusting. These downloads that we get in our mm -hmm. lives, these yeah. these things that come through us, these people we meet, these, 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 these occurrences that happen, I say with us, not to us. Life doesn't happen to us, it happens with us. Sometimes it's like, whoa, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. but we have to be open to it. Mm -hmm. So art, my art, my visual art, which I've never done before, it's been kind of fun. It's taken me on this journey that I never imagined. And, and visual artists are, are funny people. You know, they're very different than dancers. They're very different than actors. They're very different than musicians. They've kind of got their own little quirkiness. So I'm having fun figuring dancing with that, that whole new set of people kind of cool big art community here yeah huge art community here For sure yeah I love that about Chattanooga and I've seen your art when I've been at the sports barn because you had some of it there before the downtown sports right, barn right. closed but I've also seen it online what's your website so people can check that out they can check out your visual art can yeah. you tell yes my website is connected c-o-n-n-e-c-t-d no wait a minute that's my I apologize. That's my. I'm starting to give you my. There's a my lot email. to keep up with. Instagram, email. <laughs> it's Anne, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's AnnLloydWillett.com. It's A N N E L L O Y D W I L L E T T dot com, and my website is all inclusive. I haven't broken out because my visual art is more new. It's inclusive in with my movement. Yeah. So I'm kind of a one-stop shop with my website right now, which I may break out into different ones. I mean, even you know. My astrology sort of tucked in there. My movement's tucked in there. Somebody said you kind of need to break break those out and mainstream them. But right now, it's you but might, that's more work. <laughs> you might have, and you might have to navigate through stuff you don't want if you're not interested in the movement. But to me, it all ties together. It's yeah. a thread of what I do. Just all comes together, and I think that's come with the wisdom of just growing older. Yeah, you begin to see like your tapestry comes together. You put the pieces. You put the hexagon mirrors together, and you see, <laughs> yeah. you see the pieces. Yeah. Well, yeah. um, one of the things I wanted to highlight is the Chattery. Uh, the Chattery does adult education. 
here in Chattanooga, but they also offer Zoom classes. So if you're not here in Chattanooga, you could take a class from anywhere in the world with them if they have a virtual option for that class, and many times they do. But I know that you're a teacher at the Chattery, and we love the Chattery. We support their mission yeah. and what they're doing. Uh, but I want to hear about your feelings about the Chattery, if you can brag on them a little bit, but also tell us what you're teaching there. And um, I know you taught recently a class. Maybe you have some that'll be coming up down the road. Let us know a little bit about what you're teaching at the Chattery and maybe elsewhere also. Yeah, well, first of all, yay, Chattery. Yeah. Yay, Chattery. Yay, Chattery. Yeah. Shawanda and Jennifer, yeah, mm-hmm. just went to their celebration. I don't yep. know if you guys mm-hmm. went to it. I guess we, I did. we didn't go, you didn't but make I, it. I saw it. Yeah, that. yeah, celebrating 10 years. Yes, um, yes, yes. I, I just can't say enough about them. I really, I love their business model. I think that what they do is great. They offer classes, and they cover so many different types of topics. Mm-hmm. So going back to, again, I like to weave things back, you know, going back to the, the Enneagram 4 of just accepting people for who they are. They offer classes in everything that mm-hmm. would appeal to, I think, almost anybody, mm-hmm. you know. And you might not mm-hmm. want them all, but there's going to be something. I think there's something for everyone mm-hmm. that they offer and they bring. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's fun. You meet people there. You can, you know... That's where I met you, mm-hmm. actually. Was mm-hmm. at an event yep. at the Chattery yep. Cat? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yes, first of all, yay, Shawanda and Jennifer, and love their business model. Great for Chattanooga. The classes I teach there are a little bit varied because of the, because I'm a little bit varied, but I, I teach something on Astrology 101, Western Astrology 101. I, I teach a moon class, moon cycle class, mm-hmm. and again, I bring it down into a very... Um, grounded way of just using the moon cycles um, in your own life. Um, again, very grounded, very much with tools to take, and and getting outside. I'm all about getting outside. You know, not just the app, but get outside mm-hmm. and actually be with the moon, leave the moon mm-hmm. energies. Because you think about what the moon does to our, you know, we're so much water, and what the moon does to the tides. The moon really affects our moods and our uh, uh, our life. And then I teach a class on breath. And it's again, I bring in it, I bring in through the lens of the cadaver studies I've done and what's actually going on when we're breathing. So m- more again of a physical perspective on breath. And then we have a nice little breath meditation that we do at the end, full body relaxation. Mm-hmm. And then I teach a class on fascia. Just mm-hmm. fa- I call it the F word. <laughs> I love that <laughs> because fascia is something, and again, we're our. I just went to an amazing um, cadaver study where we've dissected it, where the guy had dissected the the nerve tree, the entire nerve tree, and it's unbelievable. And I was I was starting an article on it. I have a newsletter that's, that that uh, you can sign up for on my website as well. And then when I say newsletters, essentially just little different articles about various things, but. The one thing I was just noting in that is that we have upgraded our phone technology more in the past one year, two years, mm-hmm. than we have upgraded our anatomy or books mm-hmm. in the past hundred years. Mm-hmm. We are still. I was in a cadaver study, gosh, last uh, November up at Ohio Medical, and we're doing integral anatomy, so we're going layer by layer and we're looking at all the interconnections of the body. And the med students that were next door that have pieces, mm-hmm. you know, like they have a piece of a lung or a piece of a, 
or even if they have the whole body, they're looking at just a specific piece going just right down rather than layer by layer. Mm -hmm. They were running into the room going, can we see, can we watch what you guys are doing? Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I think, and they, and they weren't even t using the word fascia. So I call it the word, the F word, and yet fascia is, mm -hmm. you talk about embodiment, you know, it's the biggest sensory organ in the body. And there's so much we can learn about it. We're, we're looking at it through the lens of everything from how cancer is transmitted to how we train our Olympic athletes and everything in between. So I have this little fascia course. So the, the chattery, that's where I teach those classes. And then um, I do, like I do workshops for, for people if they want specific, you know, I'll go in and do for groups of people, work groups. Mm -hmm. That's usually how I teach is more in a you know, when it's set up like that. So not really big groups, the, probably the chattery is the biggest place, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. bigger groups, but then it's more of just like if a workplace wants you to come in and give you some tips on, you know, navigating through the workplace mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in your body, yeah, dealing with stress, come in and do that kind of stuff, so. That's wonderful, yeah. so people can seek you out to do that, to teach classes in the workplace on, you know, getting more in touch with your body and practicing some meditation, but then also look up classes at the Chattery that, you know, they may be able to take from you. But yeah, the Chattery is wonderful. And any uh, class at the Chattery. Oh, so yeah. good. I did like maybe... I was going to say, you've taught there. The, the, yeah. On Enneagram. Both of you we've teach taught on Enneagram. There. Yeah. yeah, we've taught there. But I was going to say, I went to a sound bath two weeks ago <sighs> and it was just Love amazing. Sound mm -hmm. so, yum, yum. So yeah, there's just <laughs> so many opportunities there. They have classes on yoga. On Cake decorating. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Knitting, yeah. All knitting, sorts all of the things. things. Yeah. The things. Photography. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, anything. That's what I'm saying. There's anything for everyone. Yeah. So big shout out to the Chattery. And again, they have virtual classes for those of you who are, are listening who aren't local. Um, but yeah, wonderful that you're getting to teach that. We're going to stop. We're going to pause so our technology. That, that we did. Oh, you know what I was thinking is that your your bracelets may come up um, when you're moving around. So keep moving around, but I would take them off. I just, love your bracelets. Yeah, they're beautiful. The oh, it's hard for me to um, take this one I off. Love oh, keep it. So, you know, I love so I'll tell you the story. So you know this is... What, what is the stone? Well, you know these are the uh, the 108. Right, the mala bees, the mala oh, which yeah, are 108. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. 108 yeah. mala bees, yeah. and 108 is a very sacred number. That means, um, and then this, of course, right here, this is um, uh, Pallas Athene, which I have, which she's the like CEO. Well, don't take that CEO one off, in the sky. Mm -hmm. I'll, no, what I can do is just put this one on, I love and what this. I'll do is I'll just bring these up. I love oh, perfect. Yeah. Hopefully this won't distract. But anyway, no, 108, 108 is a very, because yoga, 108 yeah. sun salutations. Yeah, yeah. I've done that. 108 is yeah, a, a very mm -hmm. sacred number. Mm -hmm. it, uh, you can look it up, but there's many, you know, many different religions bring it in to their constructs. Yeah. It means, it, a lot for a lot of people, uh, spiritual completion. Yeah. So there's a real sense of spiritual, uh, I guess completion is the best word. But the time of death was, of my son was 108. Oh. So that gives me chills. So, and there's yeah. again, there's a lot of uh, very interesting things around his his passing. But the the 108, I wear these. I have all different colors. Oh wow! <laughs> so I always wear the 108 beads and as a reminder of his of his yeah of his presence with me. You know, and again, you know, one pa when one person passes, we haven't gotten into death yet. Mm -hmm. When one person passes, and another one, something shifts. And one person passes and for me it was an understanding it brought me to a different world 
I never would have I never would have put all that together of the mm-hmm. spirituality or even the you know we do things 108 sun salutations well why do we do 108 sun salutations why do we you know why do we wear this wear as a necklace some people wear them as necklaces can you tell these? me a little bit more about why we do? I've I've done that practice we, of a hundred and eight. We're rolling. Yeah. yeah. I love okay. That. Well, I th- again, I again, I it goes back. You can dig deep into the meaning of one away. Mm-hmm. You know, people forget a lot of times. Yoga mm-hmm. is an ancient, ancient practice. You know, mm-hmm. it goes way back. And again, it's something that's become pop. You know, people are doing it, but forgetting. Not everyone, but a lot of people are forgetting that it's rooted in something that is very mm-hmm. spiritual um, and ha- carries a lot of wisdom mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just have a crazy thought, and unless you're going to feel super uncomfortable about it, I have a mala mm-hmm. necklace that I've had for a very long time, and I rarely have worn it, rarely, mm-hmm. and I really would love for you to have it. It's beautiful. Why if don't I, you wear it? I just, it just feels like not me. I don't know. And I have Where did it, you get it? it? I had it made for myself. And it has lava rock. Ah, lava. Black. Yeah. yeah with yeah. Uh, the main bead, it's the turquoise color. And I forget, it's not jade, it's something else. And it's lovely. And I just, I just feel called for you to have it. So I'm going to send it wow. to you. Beautiful. Well, that would be beautiful. Yeah. Of course, my first inclination is for you to wear it. I know. And I just <laughs> and just be sure that you're not. I mean, obviously, this conversation came up about the mala beads yeah, and the but, 108. And, but the significance of the number for you and it just. So when we're off the air, I'm going to get your address. I'm going to pop it in the oh, Okay. And I think you'd really love it. I and want you to. I want you to try it on first, though, oh, my dear. Oh, I, I have. And just I, be sure because I have. I promise you. I promise you. I wouldn't even say it. But I do want you to because something has come into the space right now, yeah. That may create a shift for you when you put it on. You I never think, know. You I never think know. the conversation about passing of the loved ones and you know and that's my next question and I could never you know I have two children of my own I could never you know to lose a child to me is unthinkable so for that I'm so sorry um but I have lost both of my parents and I've lost both of my parents during both of my pregnancies oh wow and challenging um, time very challenging time and um uh, Passing on my mom was unexpected, and passing on my father was expected. They both died from the same um, disease, which mm. was very surreal to think about. Mm. Uh, so I do believe in significance. If there is a significance that is attached to something that is so catastrophic in your life, I think that's important. Yeah. So yeah. just to hear that how 108 relates to you in the passing of your son. I just... Yeah. So can you well, talk ma- a little bit about I would call this a magic moment. You think so, so? I'm holding space for it right now. Thank it's you. beautiful. And yeah. I, you know, and I rarely, and Christy knows, I rarely get emotional, but I get emotional with force yeah. every ah. single time. Well, you know, and, you, and do you know why? I'm asking you a question. Why? I can tell <laughs> you why. Because my number moves into a four. Ah. I, we have a connection. And four moves into a one. Okay. So we have a connection. It's just how we connect. So I am I'm very um, attached to 
your space and your yeah. qualities and your views and feelings and just the core. And But it gets me in an uncomfortable place of emotion that I struggle in residing in. Right, because mm -hmm. it's not your, your comfort zone. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, you know, going back to when you're talking about fours, I think fours do, and you mentioned this, fours mm -hmm. do give permission yeah. for people to be who they are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's, mm -hmm. that carries a lot of responsibility for fours. Yeah. So it's, or any fours listening, it's, it can sound like, oh, yeah, I give, I hold space. And I do hold space. Yeah. But sometimes I want to go, I don't want to hold space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I just want to go home and go to bed. I don't want to hold space. <laughs> yeah. So beautiful that you, you brought that in and you tied it in and, yeah. um, and and beautiful for 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 getting emotional. I love yeah. it's you're human. You're thank you. It's so uncomfortable to be a I'm human sure. at times. I know it. Oh, it is. Well, it and fours are also the most emotional, feeling oriented type mm. on the enneagram. Yeah. So they give people permission to, to feel. feel. Yeah, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so that's something you're you're giving permission for somebody to be an authentic self but also to move into their, their feelings, their heart space, their, their body. Their heart space, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. thank you. Speaking very of something lovely. that I don't think is very, very talked about in this particular culture, and maybe you will agree with me, but it's grief. You know, I, I, I don't think people, you know, we know the step, we've, we've read the book, we know the steps, but I don't think grief is talked about in this culture particularly um, and uh, it's not really normalized if you can normalize such a thing and I know that you are passionate about helping people who are going through their grief and you have gone through grief yourself so can you talk a little bit about the importance of befriending grief and knowing how to grieve and accepting it and just letting it be your friend. Yeah. Well, I, I'm guessing you're speaking about grief related to death. Yes. Okay. Because and I know there's all different. There's all kinds, kinds of grief, and I, I will dance a little bit with that as well. Yes. But I guess we need to talk about death. Yes. Yeah. So, and I, I, I think it will be fun to, to go through all of the enneagram and and, yeah. and think about death with with each different person. So. And again, I mentioned astrology being a comfortable construct for me. I have my son, the S-U-N, in the eighth house of okay. death, which is the eighth house, which is death. Oh, wow. And my son is shining a light, so I'm here to shine light on death and, de and transformation, death and transformation. So, you know, you can think about, what is it, is it, is it in French that orgasm means mini-death? Mm -hmm. You know, so you go, your heart stops when you mm -hmm. have, you know, there's a little moment, a little mini-death. And, and yet it feels so good. <laughs> so it's like it's death, but it feels so good. So death is a word that can have a lot of meanings as well. Mm -hmm. we, can, we can have the death can be the ending of something. But when we talk about the death of a, of a body, mm -hmm. which is the way I look at it, I, you know, I think of bodies as housing our souls. Again, we don't know how it all works. Do our souls, where do our souls go yeah. when our body dies? But we know they're not they're not in that body anymore when someone that we love leaves this planet. Yeah. So I usually begin with death as being something 
and again, I, I talk to people a lot about it, but in fact, earlier you, you brought in your, your parents, and I usually like to ask their names, mm -hmm. because we're bringing, when we're bringing someone who has passed mm -hmm. in, into the space, they're here in a way, however you want to see it, even if it's just a memory, if you want to go beyond that, you can, but it's there, they're coming back into, they're always with us, you know. Mm -hmm. So what are the names of your parents? Tatiana. Tatiana, beautiful. Name. Valeri oh. is my father. Valeri? Valeri. 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 Oh, mm -hmm. say those again. Tatiana y Valeri. Y Valeri, Tatiana y Valeri. I mean, oh my gosh, that's art in and of itself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely beautiful, and I got chills. Thank you for that. When you said that, thank you for that. Because those are beautiful names, beautiful people. Yeah. You came through them. Yeah. And and we can use the word death. Their 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 bodies are yeah. no longer here. So I I like to do that first. If people bring people who have passed, I like to know that. Tell me their name, you know. And then, you know, I usually say, tell me a little bit about them. You know, let's go let's go there. So when we think about it from that way, then it's like death really can become a little softer. It's not, it's not something that's so finite. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I feel like my son is dancing with me all the time. There have been amazing things that have, that have, that have happened um, in my lifetime since he's passed. But death is the one and only thing. When we talked earlier about the unlimited and the unknown and writing the questions, well, the answer to the question, am I going to die, there is an answer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so there is an answer to that question. And I would say, you know, for the most part, when we're talking more global tech questions, that's the only question we can truly answer mm -hmm. with absolute certainty is, am I going to die? Is she going to die? Is he going to die? You know, so, so it provides this really finite kind of thing to this, unlimited unknown part of our existence as a human being is that we're going to die in our bodies. Mm -hmm. We have different constructs that, it, that can help us navigate through understanding where the soul might go. Mm -hmm. People have different beliefs on that and I like to say, well, unless you've done it, <laughs> you don't know. Mm -hmm. And maybe we've done it before but we don't remember it. I don't know, you know, yeah. but we can't say for certain mm -hmm. what happens. But we do know that the body will die. Mm -hmm. And those are bodies that I have actually dissected mm -hmm. or people that have passed. And I hold great reverence for those people for donating their bodies to bring the wisdom to those of us who want to learn more about the body. So I look at the body as the body, but the soul is no longer in that body. And that's what makes it easy for me to navigate through that. that. Mm -hmm. So if you start with that basis of death, um, it softens it a little bit of that it's really not so finite as we think, mm -hmm. especially if we have a, an ability of a spiritual practice to sort of tap into whether it's a memory yeah. or a thought or a photograph or something that connects us, continues to connect us until we leave our body, yeah. that's, that's a good place to start. And knowing that it is the one and only thing, I believe, that we know for certain. And then that goes, wow, okay. So as we go through the different um, Enneagrams, we'll, we'll probably talk about it. Some people are probably more comfortable with that and some people are not comfortable with that, of, yeah. of knowing that we're going to leave. But it also brings us to the practice of, particularly in yoga, of you know being in the moment, mm -hmm. living in the moment. Mm -hmm. You're going to die, yeah. so be present mm -hmm. to right here, right now, mm -hmm. and breathe into it. I mean, you can breathe right now, 
And that's your breath in this moment. And you're alive and I'm alive and the breath is life. That helps soften the death, <laughs> the concept of death. So different when you said in our, in our society or within this culture, yeah, there's some cultures, you know, that they celebrate death. Yeah. And we've started using that word a little bit more, celebration of life, of someone's life, rather than funeral. We yeah. use those words a little bit more, celebration rather than funeral, which is pretty hip, you know, mm -hmm. but we're still not there, you know. And I never wear black to a funeral. Um, How come? Because I think it's tied to that old paradigm of, of dirge, of death, of, of, of gone. We're, again, you know, being a little bit higher level with this is, you know, we come into this life, our soul comes into this life with its, with its journey. And what are we navigating through? What are we here to do? Why are we here? Who are the people we're going to run into, bump into, call them bumps? And then we're going to go. But we have to recognize that it's, it may be, you know, my son died young, died, you know, and so we don't know when they're, when or how, but we know we're going to. So, so it's kind of like something we might not want to look at, like death over here, but, mm -hmm. it, but it's there. <laughs> and if we can look at it and bring it in to, to our lives as best we can within who we are, and again, there's room for it all, <clears throat> for each person to have their own space around it. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I think that... <clears throat> I think that it's important to just keep it there. I had people run from me when my son passed. They would like dodge me in the grocery store. They didn't want to talk to me. Yeah. They didn't know how to be with me. Yeah. They didn't know what to say. You know. So that brings me to grief. Um, unless there's more you want to ask about death. I mean, there's a lot we could say about that, mm -hmm. but I don't know. Oh, and we'll keep going, yeah, because we're going to talk about each Enneagram number and So death. we'll be doing more death, yeah. Yeah. So then if you come to grief, and probably we'll talk about those people that might have been the ones that ran from me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, again, grief is something that, to me, is a profound transformation that anyone can go through. It can be very painful like we're talking about um, going through menopause, <clears throat> excuse me, can be very painful. Yeah. And yet, it can also be very transformational. So sometimes with transformation comes a little bit of pain. And I use pain lightly. It's not like meant to be you know, horrible, but it can be something that's not going to feel comfortable. Yeah. I got to use the word, it's not comfortable. So grief... Uh, there's nothing like the grief that I have felt with my son passing. And I, I don't use the word that I lost him. And I did another podcast on this. I talked about that, that, that statement, I'm so sorry for your loss, has become a little bit trite. See, people sort of say it and then tick it off their list. And you hear it, you, you, know, you go to a funeral and go, oh, so sorry for your loss, so sorry for your loss, so sorry for your loss. And it's like, wait a minute, what does that even mean? And, you know, the words, I am sorry, to me, have kind of a negative connotation. You can apologize for something when you do something that's not right. But I am sorry has kind of a mm, kind of ring. I, you know, it's, to me, it's like, I'm so sorry for your life. <laughs> you know, your journey, that's mm -hmm. just your journey. Um, and then when you say the word loss, 
they're not ours to begin with. Mm -hmm. People are not ours, so we don't lose them. Things shift when mm -hmm. people are born. Mm -hmm. Things yeah. shift. Yeah, yeah. When people die, things shift. My art was born. Never mm -hmm. would have been born if my son were still mm -hmm. here. I doubt. Could have, perhaps. But um, so I, I don't you like to use the word loss, and I like to think of grief as being very, very personal for people. My grief is different than other people's griefs. I went to one of those groups with grieving moms, and, and I thought, get me out of here, because mm -hmm. I had nothing in common with mm -hmm. them, and was not feeling the same kind of mm -hmm. grief that they were as individuals. So, you know, I think it's very individualized. It can come with pain. And for me, I, I think that I have like a type of chronic pain. So it comes and goes. Mm -hmm. It's like I'll go and see something, and mm, I'll remember those those fountains that are at mm -hmm. at our park. Mm -hmm. We used to play on the the fountains, not here, but when we were living out <coughs> living out west. And uh, so I'll always go by those and see. Remember him being a little boy playing in the fountain, and then mm -hmm. there's the pain, mm -hmm. which which I would associate with a type of grief. So grief can bring pain, grief can bring transformation, but I think it's important to to be with it to lean into it, to sink into it, mm -hmm. to cry if we need to, to feel if we mm -hmm. need to, to repress if we need to, you know, yeah. whatever we need to do, mm -hmm. to, to, but to acknowledge it. I always mm -hmm. say if you name it, you can tame it, you know, if you feel it, you can heal it. So it's like grief is uh, unique, it can be painful, it can be very, it can be very transformational, and I think it's all part part of design. I think everybody's experiencing grief right now mm -hmm. on some level of a world that's no longer. Yeah. Since 2020, everything has changed mm -hmm. and nothing is the same. Some people really did have people pass away during that time, mm -hmm. but also just life itself is different. I mean, mm -hmm. it, I think we're still kind of like going, whoa, wait a minute, where am I? Kind of, mm -hmm. there's that, that kind of energy. So we're grieving something that is no longer, mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of times when we hold on to things. It's like, we, it's like, you know, things are going to continue to move and shift and go. Mm -hmm. So there's also, with grief comes a bit of letting go and surrender to that which you do not understand and that which you don't know what's coming around the pike. Yeah. One of the things that comes up for me, I worked for hospice for about 13 years. So I worked Wonderful. with, with mm. death and dying very, very up close. But one of the things that we were taught um, by the bereavement counselors, and I, I worked as a chaplain and a bereavement counselor, but some of my mentors taught me, you know, don't use the word I'm sorry for your loss mm. because it softens the word death, and it doesn't allow for the fact that you lose somebody in a grocery store. You might lose your three-year-old, right? They run away. That's not the same as your three-year-old died. Right. And that the, the the body is no longer here, you know, the the life together is no longer here. So we have to be more comfortable with that word death. And confronting that word death makes us confront our own deaths too. Right? Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of death anxiety in our culture. We do. But like you said, death is our fundamental vulnerability. And if we don't use the word death we ignore it, we repress it, 
and we don't fully live because to know that we're dying is integral to living fully. Yes. And so if we don't say death, then we are filled with death anxiety and we're repressing that and it's coming out in really unhealthy ways. Yes. So I love that you did the hospice. Oh, thank and you. See, so here's yeah. another golden moment that we yeah. cross paths. Yeah. Know? So you're there. And again, I don't know your chart. Yeah. Looking from the astrology, but you know, I'm, I'm thinking there's something tied to your soul purpose and death. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's been um, a really important vocational you did it for identity. how many years 13 years wow yeah and an and a interesting number <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 so yeah why did you get out of it um, just life switch life i'm well yeah i i needed to i mean there there it is it is hard to always be with death and dying so to kind of work with people as a therapist and to get to kind of celebrate all parts of life yes is i think really quite beautiful and it, it was time um, I definitely, my tenure there was much longer than the average person. So I know, uh-huh. I know that, I mean, people working for hospice don't always last long because it is hard to my work mother with death and die. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah. I, I loved it while I was there. I loved being with people, um, s- sitting in the midst of that pain, um, with people as they were anticipating their death or dying. It was holy, sacred work. Mm-hmm. Um, but also heavy. And so, I, you know, towards the end, I started to have some compassion fatigue. And I just knew internally that it was time to shift and it was time for a new season. So would you me. say, look at, no, I'm interviewing you now. So would you say, <laughs> would yeah. you say that the, your Enneagram number is what? Is a two. Would, I'm a would, helper. So you think that that may may have something to do why it felt heavy because for me it, it, it I don't even want to use the word jazz but it's it, it energizes me you know yeah. why? do you know why do you want to know why I'm writing your question <laughs> <laughs> it's your superpower mm-hmm. Enneagram 4 is the only type on the Enneagram chart in my opinion that is able to not just feel the feeling however happy or heavy it may be, but stay in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And functionally stay in it. Mm-hmm. Functionally is the key word. Functionally. Yeah. Whether it's your feeling or someone else's. Right. Being fully present in real time over time. Mm-hmm. And to you it's organic. Mm, very organic. To everybody else, like... To hear Christy say, I'm with somebody as they anticipate their death, and I thought, oh my God, that would be my idea of hell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You could do it. And, and that's the superpower because the rest of the humans. And twos have. can do it. Twos right. are very, very good at sitting with other people in their pain. Yeah. They're not, so twos are helpers, and they're very good at, at the twos and fours are known to be the most empathic mm-hmm. of all of the types. Okay. Twos struggle with feeling their own pain. They're very good at sitting with other people in their darkness. Okay. Fours can sit in their own pain very readily. Sometimes they struggle with sitting in other people's pain, but they can. They just... Um, it, it just, there are times 
when they can pull back from that. Whereas the two would run towards other people's pain and away from their own. Um, but if, if a two and a four start to get healthy, then a two can sit in other people's pain and their own, and a four can sit in their pain and other people's. So yeah. I would say that probably it energizes you because you're a healthy four. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, and I do think that vocationally we're called to different things at different seasons, but it was, mm-hmm. it was something <clears throat> that, that, you know, I, I loved. Um, but I also did pediatric hospice and that was hard too and as I was preparing to have children I think it was good to kind of you know move out of out of that (laughs) very difficult painful work you're bringing up a very good point about pediatric versus like geriatric Mm -hmm. you know so it's we're kind of expected you're going to live so long and you're going to die at an old age you know Mm -hmm. and yet and yet sometimes um, like I had a relative who's was had had a very healthy pregnancy, and they, um, I guess it was I don't know I can't remember how how much before, but she had wrapped herself in the umbilical cord Aww. and strangled herself, you know, in, and it was devastating sure. because otherwise she was a very healthy baby. Yeah. So I mean I remember dancing with that. That was several years ago, but I remember dancing with that as death. Mm-hmm. Like, she didn't even enter. I mean, of course, they delivered her, and they grieved. Mm-hmm. They grieved mm-hmm. the, bo- the the baby that they the mother got to know, mm-hmm. but the father never met on some level. Mm-hmm. And I and I was thinking about that whole subject of, you know, young, when do, when do we die? We don't know. Mm-hmm. And we don't know, and, and, you know, when somebody's going to die and when they're not, and mm-hmm. what does it mean? But I weave, like to weave it back to, to two things that go to our other conversations, and... One is is to just one's life purpose, yeah. soul purpose. People talk about soul contracts. I realized how that event for them shifted them, and I could see from afar what was transpiring in them through mm-hmm. this event. Mm-hmm. And I saw the magic of it and the beauty of it within mm-hmm. the darkness. Mm-hmm. You know, when we can see the light in the darkness, that's just very powerful. Yeah. And it also weaves us back to the subject of the body. Yeah. Is that we think that, you know, the, I mean, the body starts, things start shifting and changing as we get older. And, and, and because we are disembodied, we take it all for granted. We don't realize mm-hmm. that, you know, you can get sick when you're little and die. Yeah. You, can, yeah. you can live to be forever, you know, I mean, forever, 90, hundreds, whatever, and, and then die. Yeah. out of the body but it, again it comes back to the body is is kind of not taking that body for granted caring for it loving it knowing that you don't know when your time is mm-hmm. and I believe and this probably comes to the astrology lens lens is that I, I think we I think our, we die from this body and I'd like to use that word because death even though death is a word to to grapple with and to be with it also can be something that we have to tease through and realize that it's not finite. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they're gone forever. There's yeah. you just have a different relationship with them. Yeah, it, it's not the same. Yeah. So the the death of the body is also bringing back the honoring of the body. Yeah. Remembering that this is our vessel yeah. that we're housed in. Which is beautiful in the Jewish tradition where they sit Shiva and sit yes. next to the body and they hold yes. that body. Yes. It's very sacred. You know, you bringing up the family member who 
died by still still was stillborn and that the umbilical cord was wrapped around the baby it brought up for me memories of doing grief groups with um, people who were there to remember their spouse who had died in the grief group so it was a grief group I was facilitating for women whose husbands had died but they ended up talking some of them more about the death of their babies there were like three of them in the group who had had stillborn babies and it was just so sad because at that time these were older women and the babies were rushed away they didn't get to they hold didn't do what they do the now. Baby. Yeah. so now they do the footprints and the mm-hmm. handprints mm-hmm. and they hold the babies and sometimes they even will do baptisms for the babies mm-hmm. so it's like you're acknowledged the death is acknowledged yeah but but at that time you know there was such a denial of death Mm -hmm. and I do think you're right like death is not the final thing and yet it has to be like honored in that moment the death of this body that somebody has carried and loved exactly and so yeah 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 yeah. so I, I do think we we have a you know, denial of death in our culture still, but we're getting better at it. I mean, just the rituals that are there now, um, you know. So. I, I do think we're getting better at it. Yeah. I think we have a long way to go at the exactly. same time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the fact that we're even talking about it right now. Yeah. There may be people that say, I don't even want to tune into this podcast right. because it's about death. <laughs> right, and, right. You know, and again, it's, it's there. Right. Um, but that, again, you know, is it a fear? Is it a mm-hmm. fear? Is it a discomfort? Yeah. Um, we're going to yeah. die. Yeah. Out of the body. Well, let's, let's <laughs> talk I, about it. Yeah. For ladies, 